right, so <clears throat> you guys ready to do this? Welcome to the Comics Pals. Uh, we are live. Let us know if you can hear us. Uh, I am still working on my uh, setup, so let us know if uh, if you guys can hear us out there. Uh, Marco, let me know if they if they're what they're saying. Can they hear us? We can. Okay. Well, can they? Can he hear you? That's a critical question. Because if he can't hear you, that means he can't hear Victor. We can't have that. Yeah. Okay. So if you can hear Marco and you can hear me, then that means we're live and things are good, which means that it is my time. It's my responsibility to introduce you all to the third man. But this is a man that shouldn't need any introduction because this is a man who was an award-winning comic book creator. All right. This is a man who has the title, the only man with the title, the hardest working man in comics. This is the man behind the Samaritan, the comic book, the one that matters. This is a man behind the trouble with love. And this is a man behind everybody's favorite children's comic. I'm calling it now, Victor. I'll, I'm going to talk for you. All right. Kindergartens which is on Kickstarter right now, already a success. We are speaking with the man, the myth, the legend, Victor Dandridge, the hardest working man in comics. How are you doing today, my brother? Bro, like, listen, listen, I I don't deserve that kind of level of, of intro. I appreciate you, I love you. I will mouth kiss you if you want me to, because that's, <laughs> that's, that's worthy of such thing. No, seriously, man, like you got me pumped up right now. You got me out here, the world could literally end and I'd be cool because I feel like I'm the I'm the biggest name in the Armageddon right now. Like you got me feeling like I'm everything. Thank you, thank you, thank you. You are everything. So happy to be here, and I'm glad you're here. And you're you're in the trenches right now. Tell the people where you are. So yes, I'm in uh, Raleigh, North Carolina. I'm here for GalaxyCon. Uh, it's a great return. I haven't been back to the show since 2019. And of course, I keep telling people like, "Yeah, I was here last year." And I'm like, "Wait, one, two, three. Oh, it's been like three years." So, you know, that's you know, it's those COVID counts, man. We we don't know how to count years anymore. But um, no, it's been it's been excellent. I've had a great show. Uh, met some great new talent that I've never worked with before. Brittany uh, Karbowski, uh, who is the voice of like over 400 characters in anime, she is phenomenal. Um, I worked with uh, Austin St. John, the Red Ranger. I've I've had that's some, awesome. some great pleasures. I know, right? Like. My my ten year old self is sitting here like how 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 do I become you? Tell me how I become you, and I'm like, just let it happen, little guy. Right, just let it happen. Right, absolutely. So we have a lot to talk about. Uh, yes, we have a lot to talk about because 
not only Victor's a world traveler, you know, hardest working man in comics that comes with a lot of travel because, you know, Victor doesn't just get to, he doesn't just sit at home and, you know, scribble his books. Victor no, gets no. out in the trenches. He peddles his, his wares. <laughs> he brings the comic books to your door. Practically uh, Victor's hot off of San Diego comic-con. The whole industry is hot off of San Diego comic-con. Mm. And so what we want to do is we want to pick Victor's brain about his experience there, but also uh, some of the major announcements that came out of the event and what he thinks about them. Victor is I, one of the things I always love about getting to talk with you, Vic, whether it's on or off mic, is that yeah. you you really do this, you know, like you're you're as into it as we are. Like we can actually yes. talk about the nitty gritty, like nerd mm -hmm. stuff. You know what I'm saying? Um, of course, of course. So we're going to do that. I do really quickly. And of course, we're going to talk about Kindergartians. We're going to get to the Kickstarter. Uh, really quick, I want to let you guys know where you can find us all over the internet, of course. We are the Comics Pals. Uh, there is a link tree that includes all of our stuff in the description of any video or audio content you hear from us. But we do want to mention Patreon.com slash the Comics Pals, where for as little as $3 a month, you can support your boys and get our newsletter, amongst other really cool things like our palling around patreon exclusive show you get to vote on the book clubs and you get a slick uh nickname a super villain or superhero nickname uh yes indeed vic we do do those oh and I so... might... hold on let me let me join that right now <laughs> uh, on the fly so right i want to say thank you to thunderstruck rebecca alejandro the night stalker harris najinsky brian demolisher del pozo random rocio Kefis the Incorruptible, The Great Destroyer, Hyper Viper 89, Momentum, Mike Elliott, Starcross, Catherine Stars, Indestructible, Indy Aaron, The Hell Spawn, Scribe, Nihilus, and The Ultimate Fighter, Snake of Talents. Thank you to every single one of you. These are Wu-Tang level names, man. <laughs> like, let's go. Let's go. Well, that... Uh, I I came up I did all of those except for uh, the Hellspawn scribe Nihilus. So these okay, are the okay. these are the people who have supported us at the ten dollar or more tier. These are our these are these are the champions. Uh, so I thank you it. to every it. single one of you. Um, no, that's amazing. All right, so let's get to let's get to Victor. Let's get to the man of the hour, um, the man of the man of the millennium, uh, <laughs> <laughs> the, the millennium man. That'll be your. That. That'll that'll be your. That'll be your... Nice. <laughs> just as soon as we get off of here, I'm, I'm watch. Up. Let's, go. Let's go. All right. So I want to see if I can't show because Victor actually brought some things, uh, some goodies with him to showcase. See if I can find that. But while I'm looking, uh, yes. I want to talk about Kindergartians. Yes. Because again, we've had you on the show many times. Uh, you've you've come on and we've talked about a trouble with love, the trouble with love, and that was a lot of fun. We actually talked about the Samaritan too. That was a lot of fun. But Kindergartians is different because Kindergartians, yes. you know, you make books for everybody. Kindergartians is for the youngest among us. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And Me. and this is <laughs> this is I think I I got a chance to look at the uh, you had a link to the uh, first issue. In the, yes. uh, in the Kickstarter page, which we're going to have a link to. Um, and that was very cute and very fun. I wished I had uh, a youngster in my life that I could, you know, 
hand it over to and say, hey, this no, is no, for it's you. the youngster in you. It's the youngster oh, in you. Yeah. That still counts. Bro. Absolutely. <laughs> I, hey, I, I, I enjoyed it. Um, and we do have some parents uh, in the audience, too. So definitely want you parents to, to pay special attention. Victor, can you tell the, kin- uh, the, the audience what the Kindergartians is and sort of what they can expect? Okay, so Kindergartians is a series. The full title is Wonder Care Presents the Kindergartians, uh, which is co-created by Justin Castaneda, a creator out of uh, uh, Chicago. And the essential pitch is it's Muppet Babies meets the Justice League, okay? So it's a Saturday morning cartoon in comic book form, sons and daughters of the world's greatest superheroes, going to a specialized school, learning how to become the heroes of tomorrow while having their own little misadventures along the way. And it's so funny, the the... The real origin story for this series, no joke, is um, I do my teaching program called You Create Comics. And at the time that I launched it, it was around the same time that I launched uh, Vantage In-House, my publishing imprint. But the first books out of Vantage In-House were um, The Samaritan, Origins Unknown, and A Trouble with Love. So as I'm trying to get into elementary schools, I have no elementary school age appropriate material to Mm. show teachers and principals what I have. So the idea of the kindergartens was in the back somewhere. And I'm like, bring that to the forefront. If you want to get into schools, you got to show them that you do kid-friendly material. And that's where everything started. It was really like a, a launching pad to bring the You Create Comics line into schools. But since then, the characters have taken a life of their own. The title has become something amazing. Justin and I have been firing on all cylinders where we have created this universe that no joke by the 10th issue we have created more than 30 characters wow. for this series. More than 30. No joke. No wow. joke. Wow. Like, thank you. Thank you. That's thank incredible. You. So, yeah, it's a lot of fun. We, we're aiming to, you know, tap that 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 place in space, right? Like where you are a little kid. You want to read this book with your favorite bowl of cereal. That's the only thing it doesn't come with, right? It doesn't <laughs> come with your favorite bowl of cereal. That's our fault. We, we're, we're working on fixing that. But the feels are there. Uh, we've got, you know, the, the classic old school messaging, um, which I think is really important, right? Like we've got in that first issue, how far, uh, how far is up? We have Pep, our resident speedster, right? She's essentially like the daughter of the Flash. And we have no problems with making those kind of comparisons. Um, a lot of people are like, oh, original characters, original characters. Sometimes the archetypes work way better um, when, you, when you lean into them. So she's got this idea where... Um, if she runs fast enough, she can run from land to water and never, you know, break stride. So she's looking and she's like, how come I can't do that to the sky? There's a definite place in the distance I see where the ground and sky touch. I should just be able to run right into the sky. And she tries to figure out how to do that. And now those of us, in, you know, grounded in reality, we understand that that's not necessarily a real thing that you can do. <laughs> and so in her pursuit of doing this, um, she comes across these her twins who are uh, twin boys who are basically the sons of uh, Superman and Wonder Woman in this universe. And one is very, very serious about being a hero. He's like, you know, you got to do everything by the book. Like dad would do it, blah, blah, blah. And the other one's just kind of laid back and cool. He's like, look, we got superpowers. Like we can do anything, man. It's, that's awesome. That's all I want is just to be awesome and supportive. And the brothers have this conflict and this issue where one is like, hey, Pep, good luck. I want you to try it. The other one's like, why didn't you tell her the truth? You know she can't do that. You know, a real hero should tell the truth. And that becomes the bigger story, right, of is it better to encourage the impossible or allow reality to anchor people's dreams? Mm. That becomes a very big conversation, something that adults can get into and maybe be moved a little bit when they hear it because they go, well, you know, there's some stuff that I probably – 
wanted to explore, but I listened to XYZ person that said, oh, you can't do that. You don't know what to do. And then they didn't do it. So maybe we can get some people that are having some just general fun, but then we can encourage folks to try something they've never thought that they could do. That's beautiful. Um, Thank you. And and I, I want people to, if you're watching this live or you're watching this on YouTube, right now um, I have on the screen one of the images, uh, one of the, the, the Kickstarter images, one of the promotional images that we were given by Victor. And you can see, you can see how awesome the art is. But what's so cool is that that, uh, that QR code on the screen should work. It worked for yes. me. I tested it out. Yes. It works. So if you so if you actually want to go straight to the Kickstarter page, you can just um, use your phone and go and grab that QR code, and you can head on over to the to the uh, Kickstarter page. And if Absolutely. you're Absolutely. if you're in chat, I've also dropped the link to it, so you can you, go straight thank right you. in there. Yes, thank you. Yes, awesome. Um, and so this you you worked with. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but Justin Castaneda on this, right? Yes, yes, Justin. He's my co-creator on this one. Brilliant guy. Awesome. Yeah, um, and I love the vibrancy that he brings to it. Uh, it captures the spirit of what you're clearly going for, which is that youthful, fun, yes. awkward energy. Um, it really comes across on the page. Uh, it's 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 really great. Thank you, thank you. No, I owe so much to the visual characterization of these guys to Justin. Uh, He's a phenomenal co-creator and he's, he's actually one of the most um, hands-on co-creators that I've ever had where um, after we did the first issue or so, he was like, hey, I got this idea. I want to do like strips of these guys. Do you care? And I'm like, do it, please. And so we started or he started uh, wondercareafterschool.tumblr.com where mm. there are like little strips, little comic strips that do knock knock joke gags. Um, all kinds of fun stuff, just as extra pieces of storytelling and keeping him drawing these guys. And, you know, over the years, what we started doing was using the strips to be a lead into the next issue. So like we would, you know, he would have like jokes and jokes and jokes. And then I would write one that was um, the lead into. So then we would use that in the issue as previously on, you know, very much so in the old school X-Men yeah. uh, setup, you know, previously on, on Kindergartens, and this is what happens. And we jump right into that issue. So, like this is this is our childhood brought to life in comic book form without question. So you you do a lot of different kinds of books. You you seem to mm -hmm. want and we've talked about this before to have something on the shelf for every kind of reader, every every potential kind of reader. Yes. Now, The Samaritan, for example, is like this really kind of like gritty darker story with you know with 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 powers people with powers and stuff like that but yeah. it's it's really dark and gritty you're dealing with some heavier themes the trouble mm -hmm. with love again people with powers uh not necessarily as dark as the samaritan but it's got those themes going you know it's got right. those big right. heady themes about love and relationships things like that is it difficult for you as a writer to mm -hmm. switch those gears between going from like the heaviness of the samaritan to the lighter, you know, all ages storytelling of kindergartens. How do you get into that vibe for each different kind of story that you're working on? I think um, the best writers in the game will tell you that these stories, we're, we're basically vessels for these mm. stories. We don't write them, right? Like we're not generating this story. This story is being told to us by the ether, the spirits from on high, like wherever inspiration comes from, they tell us 
this and we're just the vessel that we put it down through and it becomes easier when you are open to listening to how inspiration is whispering in your ear so it's not so much you know um oh i'm writing something kid friendly or i'm writing something you know very mature it's what's the story mm-hmm. and whatever the story is if i'm listening to that voice that inner thing inside of me it's super easy it's only when i'm trying to when i am trying to write something that it becomes difficult because i'm fighting against the story itself and one of the things in my career i've learned to do is not to do that like don't fight it listen to the story put down what it what it's giving you and see where that goes because i feel like if if you force the issue on those kinds of things it just it affects the quality it affects like to your point the story itself and if you're able to capture mm-hmm. the like the essence of it like the way you described it right it's it's uh, uh muppet babies with uh the uh justice league right that is a concept is something that you can build upon work with but it's when you start to think or try to inject something with like a specific intention that maybe these things start to fall apart uh is that it is that something that when you generally write you feel like uh beyond just kind of like finding the story um the the actual way that you present it the presentation like how much of that comes from the way that you uh, write it or the way that maybe you collaborate with your artist? So that's a, that's a fantastic question. Um, so the way that I write stories, <clears throat> my scripts are me telling the artist the, the story um, for, their, for their interpretation to kind of shine through. I'm not so rigid. Like when I say this, it has to look like this. It has to look like that. Um, I'm just trying to get across an idea to you. And then however you interpret that back to me is what we ultimately will see. Um, when it comes to any sort of like really like fine tuning things, it's only about the characters um, and their individual voices that I really try to focus on. How would this person say that thing, right? Like I, I can have an idea of what needs to be said, but what is this character's specific voice trait that will allow me to say this like they would say it? Mm. And that becomes... Um, any sort of cognitive thought process of, um, no, I have to make sure this goes this way. So like how the character Horace would say something versus the character uh, Cub would say something very, very different. And so it's really about structuring things in that sort of character voice um, that is the only work that I put in um, in terms of doing that. But really like it's it's wide open um, in terms of what you guys read it's it's a matter of the interpretation of what the artist has, has taken and then me coming back with words to match what they've put down so uh real quick uh there's someone in the chat of uh avenging pineapple who says oh oh uh hi comics pals what kind of stand-up comedy do you do uh well uh we don't do comedy thank you for the comedy um we don't do stand-up comedy uh we are speaking about comic books here and Victor Dandridge is a comic book creator extraordinaire. We're talking about his work on Wonder Care Presents the Kindergartians, which is on Kickstarter right now. Uh, yes, this yes. this is a fully funded or a funded Kickstarter, right? Uh, congratulations on that. You've Thank you've, you. you've done you. several now um, that have that have uh, you know been funded, and now we're in the fun part. Everybody knows the fun mm-hmm. part, which is when you get into the stretch goals and you can start you know getting some really cool things added to your overall package um the project is over six thousand dollars yes yes uh 
my God, the biggest one that we've had on our on our imprint yet. So yeah, I'm so appreciative and thankful for everyone that's awesome. put in. Oh, on awesome, man! Seriously. Congratulations, yeah, yeah. that's super cool. Thank you. Um, thank you. So we have creators in mm-hmm. our community. We have people that make comics in our community, right? When it comes to Kickstarter, and let's say you know you're spe- you're giving advice or you're speaking to the Victor Dandridge of old, or people who, who are just starting out on Kickstarter trying to make it work. Mm-hmm. What are the biggest things that you think people either don't know at first, or they just get wrong, or the things that you think people need to know to be able to do this successfully, and without losing their hair or going gray? Yeah, I will, I will be honest. Um, when it comes to marketing my book specifically, um, not even just for Kickstarter, it's not something that I've done well. I have had a habit of um, creating something and moving on to create the next thing, right? That's just my creative energy. Uh, but one of the things that I think really works well for Kickstarter is taking your time and setting up a plan um, of action. So I would say you can you can probably have an amazing Kickstarter um, campaign over a 90-day period, and that's including the 30 days of the actual campaign. I think you can actually pull that off. Um, and it's, you know, a matter of seeding interest, telling people it's coming, building up to the launch, um, and then actually creating like a fun, uh, fun for you, uh, filled like marketing plan that every day you talk about your project in a different way. I think that's one of the biggest things that most people fail on is they just, you know, they create one promotional thing and they just repeat that every day, which becomes spammy nonsense. Like nobody wants to hear that every day. But if you if you try to come up with something different to talk about every single time you're talking about this thing, it'll resonate with somebody differently. And you never know where that could come into play. Like one of the things that we're going to do because we're in our last week, I have every intention of trying to say, who are the voice actors that I would love to see voice these characters um, if we were ever to take this into animation? That's a totally different, you know, space and place than what we've normally been in when we're talking about this book. So it's just kind of having something fun to discuss when it comes to this. So I think that's the biggest thing. That's, yeah, that's really interesting. And I think a lot, I mean, look, a lot of writers, right, introverts, you know, we just kind of want to work and do our thing and call it a day. I think when you're trying to step out into the world, you know, the world is very different. It's not like the 90s Mm -hmm. anymore where you can just get that work at Marvel and just that's it. Now, you know, for most of us, even those at Marvel and DC, you have to put in the, the legwork to push yes, the comic do. book. And yes, it's not enough to just be good at the writing part. You know, or, right. or, or even in some instances, the art part. Like, you have right. to be able to bring people to the door, and that's going to be coming from you. Why should they buy this? Why should they invest in you as a person? Which I think is sometimes just as important as the book itself. I think people like yourself, um, I think of uh, Dirk Manning as well, you guys are are very uh, charismatic, mm-hmm. and right. you kind of make people want to gravitate towards you. The first time I met you, um, it was at New York Comic Con, and yes. I was like, "I like this guy. Like, I want to, I want to, <laughs> I want to talk to this guy. I want to, I want to see what this, right. this guy's about." Um, before I even got to look at the comic, so. No, and it's funny. That's a that's a conversation piece that's happening on Twitter, like right now. Of what's more important to market, your book or you? And I'm like, both. Right. It's not a separation. Yeah, there's an approachability that you have to like really hone. I think um, one of the times we went to 
uh we went to philly for a con i don't believe it, it wasn't uh it wasn't one of the philly ones but um uh, that's where we first met um greg anderson and yeah. he's a great dude very similar energy he's just like very open super friendly and one of the things that he does is he tries to first uh like approach you as a person like hey how are you doing what's going on uh and then he'll like you know you chat for a little bit how's your con experience whatever and then mm-hmm. you come into like oh like this is my my series this is anansi the the wear spider and this is the, the exactly. books that i this is the content i'm trying to push this is my message and i think one of the things that happens a lot at cons is you'll go through the alleys uh th- through the rows and the tables and you just kind of see people with heads down kind of just giving you like a stare like right. th- th- that's not how you push your your message not how you push your book and i think in person that's the way that you have you have to you have to do more than that you have to really right. uh build a, a a personal connection before you can tell somebody you know this is these are the wares i'm peddling i guess for lack of a better mm-hmm. term and in on social media it because you don't have that personal touch it becomes that much more harder and so to your point right like you don't want to spam things you don't want to uh, uh just hit people over the head with these things uh right. so the the fact that it's changing the messaging i think is a really good point how do you like how do you develop those things like like what are the things you think about when you're thinking about your story and like the kind of different angles you can take like what are those approaches well i think one of the the first thing that you have to do is really be open to what your story actually is you know um, a lot of times when we get into a space place, we've created something, we think that that's all that it's going to be. Um, be open to the idea that it could be something more than what you even intended. It's like kids, right? Like we can raise our kids to be certain things, but they'll turn into whatever they want and you kind of have to embrace that. And so, you know, when I, like I said, I started off the kindergartens with this idea that it was something that I could use to get another project into schools. If that's all I talked about it as, then I would be mm. bankrupt on so many different aspects of what the kindergartens has become. Like, I mean, we've even gone as far as to explain uh, the Black Lives Matter movement and the push against police brutality through this series because we were open to what they could do. And, you know, when you can do something like that, when you look at something and allow it to grow, breathe, and become, it, you have all kinds of things that you can talk about. Um, you can talk about how the different characters have certain relatability issues and how they overcome those. And now you have something else that you can discuss. You know, we've got, like I said, the Ultra Twins, um, the character Pollux, or I'm sorry, Caster, very, you know, high strung. I'm a superhero because my dad's a superhero. His reaction to the character Electron, whose father is a super villain, he's always antagonistic to Electron because he's like, I know you're a villain. Your dad's a villain. You're going to be a villain. I'm sure of it. How do we get to a place where they become friends? that's a story like that's a brilliant story and it's not even necessarily the core context of one of the issues but to see that happen that you can have somebody that you disagree with on an ideological basis but find value in them as a person now we have something else to talk about and that's like i said it's not even the core you know subject of the series but that's stuff that we touch on and you know during a campaign who wouldn't care about that like who, who would listen to like Oh, well, that's that's a that's a sucky story. I don't care about that book. Makes you like people that are different. Boo! Like that's not you know that's that's a talking point. That's a that's an easy sell point. And again, something that's aimed at kids but still accessible by adults, even better. I love that you made the comparison or referenced earlier the uh, X Men animated series um, because 
I feel like we've kind of gotten away from storytelling in children's stories or or you know yes. that kind of content that also has you know I don't want to say complex messages but messages mm-hmm. that you have to work a little bit to to kind of grasp or think about um the stuff that makes kids think you know mm-hmm. I grew up on that show I grew up on a lot of that stuff from the 90s and some of them had messages that I that stick with me and yeah. I watch back and I'm like, well, wow, that was a little bit heavy. Like that X-Men show, they right. dealt with some stuff. Um, but I got it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Kids are yeah. not stupid. And yeah. you can right. inject it in there. And it doesn't have to be, you don't have to show something crazy. You can just seed it and they'll get it. You know, it'll right. be in there. Right. It'll be in there. Exactly. So, that, so, so in some ways, in some ways, Victor Dandridge is raising the children of America. I'm trying. I'm trying. I'm trying. I'm sorry. My headphones just died. So I'm, I'm hoping you guys can still hear me. You we still can still me. hear you. Yeah. yeah you're good. Okay. Good. Absolutely. Um, yeah, dude, I'm absolutely trying to create the better future because if, if we just wait for the future to happen, whatever we get is what we get. And I'm much more of a know them, they, those. I owe my mother a dollar every time I say that. Um, but the future that I want, it's my job, my responsibility to help build it. So when it comes to such things, yeah, I want to put out those ideas um, of what I think goodness is and allow for folks to kind of have that conversation amongst themselves to see how do they agree with it what's the spectrum of it that they sit on because it's not just an either or in so many cases and places there's there's room for all of us we just got to find a way to make it fit and that's that's what i'm aiming for that's what i want the kids to see absolutely uh real quick if you guys that are watching want to uh ask victor any questions please feel free to put them in the Twitch chat, yeah, um, we did unfortunately burn a little time getting things together, <laughs> so I don't want to like take. It's up... all good. It's all, good. all right. Uh, you give me, you give me the go home sign when uh, whenever. Yeah, I've got, I've got. We'll say a solid twenty five minutes. Oh, we can we can get we can we can do a lot of work in twenty five minutes, my brother. Uh, so I I want to um, I don't want to navigate away from the Kickstarter before I quickly sure. say that. Um, if you want to pick this up, which I'm going to actually go ahead and put that QR code back on screen just to make it easy for people. If you want to pick this up, uh, in my opinion, right, as somebody who's who's looking at, you know, the different uh, tiers and what they offer, um, I really feel like if you if you if you yourself or for your kids, you want to kind of get the kindergarten's experience, I think you want to get the whole series. And the cool yes. thing is, the cool thing is that the whole series, it's only 40 bucks. It's only 40 bucks. That's cheaper right. than if you just buy volume two. Mm-hmm. And you're getting the kindergarten story in in full for now, right? Mm-hmm. For now. Um, and you're getting the stretch goals. The more we support, mm-hmm. the more we're going to get out of this. Um, and so I really think that if that's if you're gonna support, which I think you should, that's the way to do it. Um, yeah, absolutely. And we do have a question from Chad. Is is the Kickstarter the only place to get the Kindergartens right now? Uh, no, you could actually buy individual issues uh, through my website, uh, vantageinhouse.com. Um, we we probably should have shut that down to funnel more people to the Kickstarter, but. Um, it's one of those things where what's interesting is um, those are individual issues, right. which we actually did a uh, separation. So individual issues, um, each story actually has 
four pages of activities in the back. Um, again, because this is kid friendly, we're not we're not making this for collectors. We want you to write in it. We want you to color it. I we want it. kids to to be hands on. Destroy your books because you've experienced <laughs> them that much. You know what I mean? Like that's such an important thing. But when we went to um, you know collecting them in, in uh, trade paperback graphic novel format, we took those activities out so that we were library friendly because we don't want kids mm. to write in the books when they go to libraries. So. Um, that's that's one of the big benefits of buying the individual issues is that um, you still have those activities. Now, I will throw this in. Issues 8, 9, and 10 have never been released as individual issues. They are exclusive to Volume 2 of the Kickstarter. So you can only get up through uh, Issue 7 as an individual piece. Um, and that's, that's going to be part of the fun because... If we hit our next stretch goal, we were just shy of $1,800 from our, our next stretch goal. Um, I have to create what we call the replay book. And the replay book, when we went to the trade paperback for the first volume of collecting the first five, we took all of the um, activity sheets out and we collected that in a book called replay. Um, and it's basically, we put it in a school context, which is so silly. We created a, a, a we <laughs> it's a substitute teacher. It's a, it's a cube unit called sub, right? And what what does subs normally do when they you know get brought into a classroom? They give you dittos to do, and a lot of times they're dittos that you've already done before. So that's why we call it replay because if you've ever you know had these issues before and you've done these puzzles, here's your chance to do them again, um, or share them with a friend or something like that. So this next volume uh, or this next stretch goal will will create a second volume of those, which will collect uh, the activities from six seven. But then I have to make up a ton more. Um, that would have been featured in the individual issues of eight, nine, and ten. So, this is going to be like a huge project um, on top of the series if we get the if we get to that level. So, I'm I'm excited. I'm excited about it. That's awesome. That it's uh, the so looking through the the, the first issue um, which you have available on the Kickstarter. Mm -hmm. um, I, that was one of the first things that I, I noticed, like after reading through with the activities, because like you always have this you're always honed in onto the education angle of it. And uh, it's a passion, I think, for me as well, where you, you want to teach you want to teach comics, right? Teaching yes. comics helps to promote comics down the line, create new creators, new readers, new exactly. anything. And how do, you, um, how do you typically approach injecting a learning aspect into, or an education aspect into these books? That's a, that's a great question. Um, the educational part, um, always comes second to the story itself um, because it's it's one of those things where I think one of the biggest problems in that space is when someone tries to teach you, then they become preachy. When they actually tell you something interesting and they go back and they look and go, well, what does this teach you? Now it's a totally different scenario. And all I'm doing is pointing out the fun of the story that has educational value. Um, like in our fifth issue, um, <laughs> it's the whole issue, this is no joke, is a, a whole setup so I can do a punchline about palindromes. Like that's literally why I did this story. It's it's all so I can do a punchline about palindromes because I'm a dad and it's a huge dad joke. But can you explain <laughs> what a palindrome, right? Like you know when we get to that point at the end of the story, you know we say it. We have to explain what a palindrome is, and so then we do. And as an activity, we have uh, crossword puzzles, and all of the answers are palindromes. And it's to get people to kind of go, oh, okay, I know what this is now it's it's fun it's silly but at the same time you will learn something you know you'll you'll realize that the word race car is a palindrome and you've never thought of that before 
but it totally is, you know. Um, for those that don't know, palindromes are words that are spelled the same forwards and backwards. So, you know, that's that's the joke. That's the fun of it. Um, but again, those are things that from the story, that's what I was able to pull as an educational feature, you know, um, kind of looking at it and go, going, um, here's what the story is. What is somebody supposed to take from this? And when you lean into that on the activity side, it becomes even better, even better. And you add to the value of the comic as well, right? You, you extend the life of it. And I think it, it's, uh, I, I like that you have both a literary aspect to it as well as the art piece because you can uh, you can draw pep you can uh, color in the the kindergartens you know, you, you can yes. do more with it and, and that's great the the writing girl knock knock joke amazing right that's come so on much right fun. yeah like, what, was, what, kids love that right right you know um, in fact that was I think that was the part that inspired Justin to want to do the wonder care after school strips because he's like well this is fun I want to do that and so. <laughs> He started to, and it would make original strips to tell these jokes, and so they're uh, they're hilarious. I love them. So, uh, Catherine in the chat says, uh, "Victor, this sounds so cool to have the ability to sort of have them well loved. I know I have books from my childhood like that." Oh, God, yes, um, I do as well. If you give a mouse a cookie, still my jam, right? Like that is one of those books that will never ever die for me. It, it's you know, I love that story. Um, Where the Sidewalk Ends. Um, those are classics. Yeah. From, like, anything that I could do that would ever be compared to Shel Silverstein or any any story like that, I would I would mouth kiss whoever said it. Like no joke, full time. <laughs> even like you're it's going down. It's going down. Unreal. Well, you know what? It went down at San Diego Comic Con, uh, and yeah. Victor was in, Victor was on the ground floor. Yes. Um. So can you? kind of run us through a little bit of your experience at the event and then i want to talk to you about some of the announcements sure sure okay so i was in hall h i was in the room where it happened saturday um when we had the plethora of things now let me let me be straight up frank and clear for folks being in hall h is its own experience like yes all the things that they showed well most of the things that they showed you guys saw almost immediately after online but it is not the same as being in this communal space, 7,000 voices cheering in unison over the things that we got to see. Wait, you like, were at the, you were at Marvel's Hall at, H panel? At Hall H panel, baby. I was no. in the room when it happened, okay? Wow. I was, I was there. How, okay, so I have to ask you, so yes. was it because of who you are or did you have to like wait in line like every other schlub? I had to wait in line like everybody else, man. There's okay. no flexing on this one. This one is this one is about humility. That's and that's important. Got to be humble when you do this because here's the requirement um, to get into Hall H for Saturday. You have to spend all day Friday in line. And I've been very fortunate. Like the very first year that I went, um, I met up with a crew of people that were our line mates, right? And we became really friendly, and we've been line mates since like mm. 2017 so this is a crew like this is what they do they're well-oiled oh. machine this is what they do so um big shout out to chrissy nelson um eric everybody like much love to y'all um chrissy and my man bill were in line 2 30 in the morning friday morning to get ready to get into their spot now mind you they got in line at 2 30 in the morning where we were was approximately um, the 1900 range of people getting into the room, wow. right? Wow. 2.30 in the morning. So 
you're spending all day Friday. You are losing Friday, essentially, by being in line for Hall H for Saturday. Now, because we have a crew, we have an understanding. What we do is, you know, if there's something that you want to see, we will swap in and out of line um, because one person is is can hold the equivalent for five people. Oh. So we're going to have in our group total. And there has to be a minimum of at least three for us because we had like 14 people in our group. So at least three people had to be in our space in line all day. And we would swap in and out. Um, you know, we would take responsibilities for each other. I'm bringing water. I'm bringing pizza. You're bringing donuts. You got coffee. And we take care of each other over the course of that day. Now, it gets even deeper because in order to kind of maintain a certain space, once you get into the room, you have the opportunity to stay overnight in that line so that way you can hold the fort for your squad when they get back in the morning. And you have to be back Saturday morning by 6.30 in the morning to get to your spot. Wow. Because Yo. when they start letting you into the Hall H, it fills up so – you've never seen 7,000 people fill up so fast. Like, it's boom. And so that's what we did. Like, I, I slept overnight outside in a sleeping bag with my crew – and we were getting ready for Hall H Saturday. And woo, let me tell you, let me tell you. Tell me. Off, we get Warner Brothers. So the first thing that we saw, special clip from Shazam, Fury of the Gods. Zach Levi comes out. We see some of the other cast members come out. Lucy Liu was in the room, y'all. Wow. Lou was in the room. Mm. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I have lo- I've been trying to figure out how long I've loved her. It's got to be since payback. What was that, 96? I don't even know. Just yeah. um, so, they, so they have their thing, and that's brilliant. You love it. Um, then room gets dark. This thing starts doing, like, the smoke stuff up on the screen. All of a sudden, it starts flashing light like it's lightning. And all of a sudden, we hear Black Adam himself on this platform. So it looks like he's flying lightning bolts are striking behind him it's amazing it's Dwayne the rock johnson live in person wow shouting out black adam we got an exclusive clip in this clip and it's so important for people to understand this in this clip more people died than i think collectively in the last three jurassic park movies what <laughs> not even joking i think more people died in this one little like i think it was like three minutes more people died in this than in the last three Jurassic Park movies put together. So, yeah, yeah. They had a nice Black Adam presentation. Um, so we had Dwayne was out there. Um, Aldis Hodge, who's going to play Hawkman, was out there. Got us playing Adam Smasher was out there. The sweet young lady that's playing Cyclone was out there. It was amazing. It was amazing. That's awesome. And that's just one. That was That's how we started. Right. That's how we started it. Um, God, we saw, we saw Sandman. We had a presentation of um, uh, Paramount Plus. Um, so they did Picard, they did Lower Decks, they did Strange New Worlds. We had House of Dragons. Um, all these wonderful things that you know, just throughout the day, we saw amazing stuff. We had a there was an Entertainment Weekly panel on on women and being empowered in, in in the geek space. Great conversations on that one. Dulce Sloan, girl, I don't. <laughs> Y'all know who Dulce Sloan is? I don't. That woman spits fire. Yeah. Spits fire and is pure magic. Loved it. Um, and then around five o'clock, five o'clock in the afternoon is when the Marvel panel happens. That's when the magic kicks off. And <sighs> yeah. Yeah. They brought it. 
they brought it. They brought Kevin it. Kevin stepped out there. Um, like we knew, we knew what it was. We knew we was gonna get some magic, and we had the showcases from She-Hulk, Ant-Man, Quantumania. Uh, they brought uh, the Cast of Guardians three out, and mm, mm, when they brought out the Black Panther crew, it was listen. They they started that panel off. No, no, no. Y- y- y'all got questions. I'm gonna let y'all ask. <laughs> All right. So, um, real quick, I do want to say our our main topic today is gonna be about Black Panther. It's gonna be about the trailer. It's gonna be about you know how people are responding to to yes. to, to everything and whether or not. Marvel has made a mistake with Black Panther. Right. That's our main topic. Right. But we're far from that. And unfortunately, we are not going to have the time with you to get your feedback on that in that conversation. But um, I'm going to make it work. So my first question to you is, because we didn't see this footage, uh, Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania, the footage you saw, was it impressive? Was it interesting? Did you like it? And it was, was Kang in it? Yes, yes. We saw Kang in it. Um, and that's part of what made that crazy. Like they hinted at Kang. Like it's not like we don't know Kang is in it. Right. Um, but the trailer itself only hinting at him builds up something so spectacular. Um, especially when in the presentation of, of all the things, the different phases, we have an understanding of how big Kang is about to be. And yeah, yeah, that was amazing. Um, Jonathan Majors shows up. He's, he, he came through and I don't know if this was his first time seeing this trailer because the way he's reacting, I'm thinking it is like right. he hadn't seen it and he was, he was just as geeked out as we were. That's all awesome. just as geeked. He's a cool dude. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I, it's funny. Cause for me, Ant-Man Quantumania was the movie that I came away from Comic-Con most excited about that. I hadn't mm-hmm. been thinking about. Just because of the description of the trailer, uh, some of the things that were said about it, the fact that Modoc is in it, so, like it just seems like it's going to be a very fun movie, but also a very pivotal movie. Yes, yes, this one, and it's kind of funny. Like in the in the grand scheme of how Ant Man has fit within the MCU, um, I wasn't a big fan of uh, Avengers: Age of Ultron. So okay. when the first Ant Man hit as the follow up to that, I thought it made it that much better. Because I was kind of like on a down note about Age of Ultron and Ant-Man was just so surprising in its fun. And I loved it. Um, Unfortunately, Ant-Man and the Wasp was coming after Infinity War, which was super high note. So it didn't quite hit that same level. Um, But I think that there is something that they're leaning into very wisely that says Ant-Man is not it's it's not such a groundbreaker that it's guaranteed success. This is the place where we can start to build stuff and we can go in different directions because no one is actually expecting Ant-Man 3 to be this or that. So it it gives them room to kind of come in and go, we're going to show you something that you didn't expect to see through this. And I mean, brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Yeah, totally. Uh, The multiverse saga, the multiverse saga. Now we've got an official name for uh, phases four, five and six which encompasses everything we've already seen from Phase 4. It includes Black Panther. It includes She-Hulk. Then we got Phase 5, which was pretty much all stuff we knew was coming. Mm -hmm. Um, They did announce the uh, new Captain America New World Order, which is going to be pretty cool. They announced um, 
the Daredevil series, Born Again, uh, and uh, Thunderbolts. So cool stuff coming there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Then we got to phase six, and they only showed us three projects, but I mean, my God, uh, Fantastic Four release date, mm-hmm. and then two Avengers films, Kang Dynasty and Secret Wars. How? What was the? What was the? What was that moment like in the room? What was the feeling like? The roar, like the literal oh roar of when we saw that, like you. Okay, you're talking about the culmination of Phase Six is supposed to happen in approximately one year, right? In, am I looking at that right? Because you know I took pictures. Uh, uh, it, you mean in one count, like that Phase Six will be a year? Yes, because. Yeah, because right, it's November 2024 to November 2025. Right, yeah. Yeah. Yep. So much stuff, okay? Like, yep. I'm feeling like there's a lot of, of what we're going to see as a buildup, and then all of Phase 6 is just culmination after culmination after culmination after culmination. It is nothing but a series of payoffs, and that's going to blow people's minds. And we don't even know a majority of what phase six is actually going to be. We have no idea what that is. We know the beginning. We know uh, the very end. And we know a part right before the end. And crazy, crazy. We saw that. I think one of the things that made it so great is there's not a set story per se that we know that we're following right now. And that's the best part. Like when the Infinity Saga, we're like, okay, you read Infinity Gauntlet, you kind of know what's going to happen. There's a question of which secret war we're getting, right? Is it the 84 one? Is it the uh, 2015 Jonathan Hickman one? We don't actually know which one that is. Um, the Kang dynasty, how does that actually play into it? Because Kang was a figure in secret wars, the, the 1984 one, but it wasn't really about him like that. So we're about to get something fresh, like something brand new. And if there's any character that I think deserves the villainous treatment like Thanos got, it is Kang. Kang is huge. Um, huge proponent when it comes to his his uh, characterizations within Marvel Comics. So this is the right follow up to Thanos. Totally, I I completely agree. I think um, it's weird because I I don't want to say Marvel is gonna run out of these tentpole villains soon, right. but I almost kind of do because they wasted Ultron, right? Like he they won and done them. They were still in that yeah. phase. Uh, that was right. a mistake. I I feel. Um, And then, you know, Galactus, do you go the Fantastic Four villain route or do you go the Avengers villain route? Doctor Doom, do you go the – like there's – you know, there are all these questions. How do you build a phase around a villain Mm -hmm. every, you know, few years? There there are only so many villains who who fit that caliber. Right, who are worth that. Right. Yeah. So it's going to be interesting to see how they tackle that going forward. Now, I do want to talk about Black Panther. Because they finally debuted the trailer for Black Panther Wakanda Forever. Uh, as you mentioned, the ca- they had the cast there. Yes. Yes, uh, yes. yes they did. And let me, a let beautiful me, cast. Let me set the stage. Yeah. We had gone through all of the phase talks, everything, all the things about the future. Feige waits until the end. And it's like, okay, we've talked about the present. We've talked about, um, we've talked about the future. Let's talk about forever. And we're like, 
what? What? Where? What? Lights go dark, and we hear. You know the song that they play when they enter Wakanda? That very spiritual, you know, da da da. Yeah, yeah. That guy was there, singing live to us. Behind him is is his is his man. Like he was his drone to his Morris Day on this little drum thing. So the little like that's the dude actually playing that instrument. We saw that. Wow. Dude is walking through the aisles. He's singing. Immediately, we're in an emotional place. Like everyone in the room trying our best, keep our head up, to keep that tear from rolling down because we're just there, right? We realize there are drummers on stage. They've got dancers on stage. They do a whole performance. Everyone in there, I mean, we're just we're just in there. Shoulders bouncing, Wakanda forever. We're in a place, right? Okay, the song is over. Uh, Kevin Feige comes back out and he introduces Ryan Coogler. And Ryan comes out on his own. And I love, I love Ryan. Ryan is so authentic. Um, he's, he's from the Bay Area and you can hear it. Like his accent, his Bay accent is so real. Um, I always tease him like, it sounds like he's going to try to sell you a CD at any moment. Like you just, <laughs> he's going to sell you the CD and it's going gonna, it's gonna to be fire. But he starts talking and he gets emotional talking about Chad. And it's almost done for us then at that point. Like once he does it, right? Like he's shedding thug tears and we're just like, it's over. Like just, ha. <sighs> Right. And then he introduces the cast. He starts with Lupita, brings her out. Um, then it's then it's a Letitia. Then he brings Denai. Um, then he brings Florence out. Then they bring Winston out. And we're we're losing our minds. Right. Because it's family. Like we haven't seen these folks in five years. Mm-hmm. Not since the first you know uh, uh, movie was was being showcased. And that's where they premiered that trailer as well. But then they bring out Riri Williams. Then they bring out Namor. Then they bring out a Tuma. Like they bring out a couple more people, and we're just excited. Like, what are y'all gonna show us? What it, what is it? What's it? What's it about to be? Letitia is already in a place where she's already crying when she gets out on stage. She's there. They play the trailer. Not a dry eye. Not a single dry. I saw grown ass men, grown ass white men, just sit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like yes, yes. It was it was a beautiful, beautiful experience. It was it was amazing. They played the trailer twice, like no joke. Like they did an encore showcase of this trailer. It was it was that good. It was that good. So, I want to ask you a couple of big picture questions about Black Let's Panther. Go. Let's go. The first one, because <laughs> there are a lot of people that are upset. The first question is, do you think that they should have recast T'Challa for this movie in the wake of Chadwick's passing? Do you think they should have just gotten, just acted as if, you know, just an actor swap? Or do you think the right thing to do is to pass the torch of the mantle of Black Panther onto, you know, the next person? So my answer to that is going to sound coy, but walk with me on this one. We don't know this story yet. Specifically, we don't know when this story takes place. And I think that's one of the most important things to recognize about this. This story could very well take place during the five years of the blip. And we don't know that it doesn't. Like, that's the thing. We don't know not. 
So in that regard, no, they should not have done so for this movie. You know, um, there's a line that Queen Ramonda says that I lost my entire family. Right. We know T'Challa was blipped. As we understood, so was Shuri. So it's very plausible that this is all happening during the blip. That was the thing that they did. They switched it and said, this is the story that takes place during the five years that they were gone. Well, isn't well Shuri's in the Shuri's in the trailer, right? Which means that like that's how it starts is during the blip, right? But then something happens and maybe towards the end she comes back. And we don't we don't necessarily see him directly. Like we don't we don't know. That's that's my open interpretation of I don't know where this is in the story. Now in terms of the franchise, yes, they should have recast. Black Panther is way too important of a character to have done in one actor. Um, we've seen, and this is the argument that so many people made, and it's true. We've seen so many different actors step into other hero roles. Um, there have been multiple Hulks um, just in this franchise, right? There have been multiple roadies in this franchise. Um, if you guys can do that, there can be another Black Panther. Chadwick Boseman was amazing in the role, without question give someone else an opportunity to live up to his his standard you know and possibly even take us to someplace new someplace different you know what i mean um that's important to us we, we won't even get into how many different batman there have been um we won't get into how many supermen there have been like allow him to have longevity as a character because we deserve that as fans we've waited this long we deserve that as fans yeah yeah i mean you know, to your point, uh, I understand it's a different circumstance, but Christopher Reeves, you know, he he is gone, and people, right. other people, played that character. Um, I, I, you know, we're gonna have a, a longer discussion about this later, but in general, yeah, like that makes sense to me. Yeah, yeah. I think the the framing of it being within the like during the blip also makes sense for Namor, right? This is now his like. Let's say there's beef between. Atlantis and Wakanda, this is the time to strike. Their right. leaders are gone. Their Black Panther is gone. That that makes so much more sense than what I was thinking before. Because if this was post that, I'm like, like what's the issue, right? Like what what are the, what's the issue that they're forcing? But this is just like no, this is opportunity, and we're gonna go for it. That makes so much more sense now. Exactly, exactly, exactly. And I do still question whether or not Shuri was actually flipped, um, because I know that there is the scene in. Um, is it at the beginning of Endgame where they're saying that she's missing? But I, I question whether or not she's blipped. I, I think she might have actually just been like missing. They couldn't find her yeah. right away, but not that she was blipped. I'm throwing that out there. Ah, yeah. uh, wow, that's interesting. Um, yeah. I'm trying to figure out the timeline. In Endgame, mm-hmm. Chadwick, the the human person was still alive, right? Like, yes. Yeah. So, okay. Yeah. Huh. This is I'm throwing things out there, just trying to you, you know. No, that puts a seed in my mind because it's like, well, okay, yeah, he was still alive, but that doesn't mean like that right. doesn't negate what you're saying because all this stuff right. can always be, you it know, always be a fly. So yeah, because if they just say that at the time when they were doing the head counts, they couldn't find Shuri, so they thought she was missing. But she shows up at some point and maybe she was doing something. Um, you know, she realized what happened and she was 
trying to put something in motion and no one knew where to find her right away. And then she shows up. What does that do? You know, like, how does that, how does that change things? Um, because when we see, when we see uh, the five year jump, right. And they're talking uh, with Okoye, we have no understanding of who's in charge of Wakanda at the time. Like we don't know. So there's a lot of interesting things that can happen. Um, I would love for it to be where Shuri is missing. She's somewhere with Riri Williams. Her mom doesn't know. And her mom thinks that she's gone. So when she comes back, I'm like, why did you do that? And she's like, I had to do this, mom, you know, blah, 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 blah. And that's a moment, you know, of uh, female empowerment of I had to step up, you know, and, and I know that it's not what you would have wanted me to do. I'm just a little sister. I'm the last. But that means something to me, you know, in a way that is different to you. And I got to do like there's so much story that can be played with. I'm, I'm all for it. I want all of that. And then my last question is, who is it? Who is the new Black Panther? Or, I mean, so your theory, the theory you've laid out sort of is that they've left space in your mind for T'Challa to return post-blip. Okay, so with that in mind, who defends Wakanda as the Black Panther in Wakanda forever? I think the Black Panther in that one will be sure. I definitely think that that's who that will be. Um, what I would, what I would love to see, um, in some different cases is that that person is not actually Black Panther, is that it's a member of the Dora or somebody that put on the suit mm. in order to fight an Atlantean. Like they recognize like, cause I mean, when it's Wakanda forever, right? The idea is that everybody that they can wear something like that, like that would be dope to me. You know what I mean? Like right. um, as many as they possibly can. Now, granted, by the end of it, they would have to destroy it because, you know, if this is if my story is right, my end game at the end fight, like everybody should wear Black Panther suits. But I think it would be dope if like in her you know, mind or whatever, she felt like she had to do this. Shuri made like a couple of them. And what we see are like Dora members wearing Black Panther suits so that they have a standing chance against some overpowered Atlanteans. And we see what they can do. Like when they share the power of Black Panther, that it's not one person, it is the spirit of Wakanda forever. And that's what the story is. I like yeah. that. I like it. I like it a lot. Listen, Marvel, come hire your boy. <laughs> He's here. here. Now, uh, we do have to wrap up, but I wanted to give you a space because you mentioned that you wanted to clear the air on something. So if you yes. still want to do that, <laughs> I need to. I need to. Um, okay, so as you mentioned earlier, um, one of the, the books that I've written um, that we've talked about is a series called The Samaritan that I co-created with Rick McKenzie. Um, the Samaritan is uh, my take on an urban superhero, hooded figure, no costume, no code name, moves into a crime-ridden neighborhood and starts systematically cleaning it up. Very hands-on, very aggressive. Um, there is a show coming to Amazon called Samaritan, starring Sylvester Stallone. It is not based on my book, not at all. There was another comic series that came out, I want to say 2015-ish, called Samaritan, um, written, created by Broggy Shoot. Um, I'm drawing a blank on who the artist was right now, um, but that is the series that got uh, optioned and picked up um, by Amazon. It is not my book, nor did they rip off my book. Um, granted, there are some very similar visuals you know the the superhero wearing a hoodie um that is not necessarily a unique concept 
um, in terms of like, oh, they, they had to get it for me. I think that's just a person that's just wearing a hoodie who happens to be a superhero. It's not the same thing as what our intention was with Smith, the, the lead figure in our series, The Samaritan, um, who is wearing a hoodie as a means of blending into his urban surroundings and not standing out as a superhero. Like that was part of the story as to why he wears what he wears. He doesn't want bad guys to see him coming. He just wants to show up, be there on the spot, and pow, I caught you. That's his That's his goal. Um, so I, my DMs, every time that there's some progress made on this Samaritan movie, my DMs blow up. And people are like, oh, is this yours? Did they steal this from you? Blah, blah, blah. No, they did not steal it. Watch this movie. Like, please, by all means, check it out. See if it's great. See if you like it. Um, I'm cool with Bragi. Like, I've met him a couple of times. He's an awesome guy. I have no beef with him whatsoever. And I want people to check it out. Um, and, and the biggest, like, what's funny to me is the show that I think has the closest similarity conceptually to what we did in our series, The Samaritan, is Marvel Netflix, Luke Cage. And that one, we had a lot of people that were like, they ripped you off. I'm like, slow down, slow down. Let's not say that. Let's not say that. Um, let's say that we are operating in the same space, but we're telling different stories. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with having multiple um, menu items from the same genre source or the same uh, conceptual source. All that matters is the execution. So pepper to taste. Maybe you like this one better. Maybe you like that one better. But all of them have the right to exist. I am I am wanting to make sure that everyone knows it is not a ripoff of mine. It's not mine. It's not a ripoff of mine. And it's okay to support both of them without question. Well, and go the, ahead. Sorry, the artist on that is Mark Ollivant. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Mark is uh, very talented. Very, very talented. Listen, Amazon, they got money. All right. <laughs> they, they have support. It's fine. We all mess with Amazon. That's cool. Right. Victor Dandridge. <laughs> right comic book creators that's who we have to show up for and so speaking of showing up i do want to say once again support wonder care presents the kindergartens um this kickstarter is funded but there does not mean that we couldn't use you know a little bit more uh support we can get a, a more of a push uh, and, 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 and unlock some more of those stretch goals. So what I'm going to do right now is I'm going to pledge my support um, hey, because you. I want to I want to be a part. Absolutely, brother. You always know this is what we do. So I'm going to go ahead and get my copy secured. Um, and, uh, and, and, and that's what I'm going to do. So here we go. Continue. Hopefully, uh, hopefully you see this. I don't know if you'll be oh, able to see it. My phone, like, right? Like it's right next to me. <laughs> All I right, so it. here we go. Thank Let's you. see. Boom. All right, it's, make, it's making me go through some hoops. Got to log in. You know, you know how it goes. <laughs> uh. Yes, and pledge. Let's see if it goes it through. Too. Pledge. Thank you, thank you so very much. Thank yes. you. You're so very welcome. My man. My man. I I see am. Ya. What does that make me? The 113th person? Uh, I think so. I think you're 113, man. Awesome. Solid. Awesome. Super solid. I love it. I love it. And Thank you. I would love to see you guys listening. Show your support uh, to the man. Always a always a pleasure to have you. You've 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 been a great uh, supporter of ours and a great guest for many years. So, Thank you. you know, Thank through you. different phases of this. Um, <laughs> 
and uh, we appreciate it so much, man. Uh, thank you guys very, very much. Um, I apologize. I got to run because I got to go get to the show. Um, but thank you for having me on. It's always a pleasure to chat with you guys. Um, I will I will leave with one one more little little tidbit. One little tidbit. Um, last fall, I signed uh, an exclusive first look agreement with AHA Media. Um, it's a production company, a development company out of um, uh, Fort Wayne, Indiana with offices in L.A. Um, I do want people to know, um, without going into details, any specifics, the kindergartens are part of that first look deal. So um, there is an opportunity for that to be uh, transformed into something for film, television, animation, video games. So um, there is a huge opportunity behind that. And obviously the bigger the push that we have on the book side, the more eyes will wanna be looking at it for other things. So please, please, please give it a gander, take a look at it, see what, what you might like, because you never know in a couple of years, it might be your kid's favorite cartoon series. That's all I'm saying, and the that's all I'm saying. The QR code's still up. Victor, is that is that what we did we talked about this? Oh, we might have yeah. hinted at a thing, maybe. Yeah, maybe. yeah, very loose. Very yeah. yeah. You told super me something loose, super loose. No yeah. NDA uh, uh breakings whatsoever. No, 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 no. No. Super loose. Super loose. Just that there was something on the horizon that yeah. was coming and the thing that's coming was the first look deal which does encompass things like the Samaritan the trouble with love as well as the kindergarten so I didn't realize literally was... everything that I published under Vantage in-house is up for development um, through this deal so it's a first look agreement um, in fact what I what I probably shouldn't say but I'm about to uh, we're about to get our second uh, agreement in next week so oh. yeah, our, our second agreement comes in we've had we've had one already um, that we are, we're working on and we're going to get our second one next week. So Vantage in House, um, we're aiming to make a household name when it comes to comics as well as other media. So look for these stories. That's super living exciting. Up, living up to the namesake, right? Hardest for commanding comics. There you go. Can you let the people know where they can find you before you cut out? I'm in your hearts and minds already. Like I, <laughs> I can, it's just where I'm living. Um, hopes and dreams. I'm knocking on that door. No, you guys can find me on all forms of social media at Vantage In House, B A N T A G E G E. Sorry, I N H O U S E. Um, on Twitter, Instagram, all that fun stuff. Uh, I'm on TikTok. Uh, I think it's like Victor underscore D two. Uh, hardest recommended comics. Just look for Victor Dangerous. It's so much easier. Um, but yeah, I'm on all the things. Uh, definitely check out VantageInHouse.com. Um, and if you're into creating comics, you want to get into it yourself. Um, check out you create comics that's the letter u c r e the number eight comics.com we have supplies programming all kinds of things that we do um, on an individual basis as well as school assembly basis to help you uh, make your own comics and bring um insights to comics as educational material so holler at us we got things we got things for you awesome thank you so much enjoy uh galaxy con thank you thank you yes Big Yes, have a great time. If you're in the region and you're listening live, go go check Victor out. Go say hello. Uh, we are going to take a quick break, and we will be right back for you people on Twitch. Thank you for sticking around, and thank you again to Victor. Okay, so we're back. Uh, and obviously, the boxes don't look right, but uh, I'm going to fix that here in just a second. Um, in the meantime, though, while I am fixing that, I do want to say thanks again to uh, Victor for being phenomenal. Uh, As such always. A, yeah, such a, such a tremendous guest. He always has uh, really insightful things to say. Um, and uh, go ahead. 
I would say some of my favorite bits are always the the education piece. Like he's such a big proponent of that, of getting those things into classrooms. You create comics. Uh, I've gone I've gone to the website a few times and my aunt's a teacher and I've mm-hmm. shared with her like some of the stuff through that. She does high school, but I think for her like the value is in just teaching some something new to just her kids in general. Um, maybe not something that she can apply directly. But just for, just from that education standpoint, like it's super valuable to even just take a look at it. Yeah, he has a free pamphlet uh, on the site, and uh, always always worth checking out. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, so we're gonna we're gonna continue on with the show. We've got we've got quite a bit more show to do here for you guys, uh, and we're gonna do some listener questions. That's how we're gonna that's how we're gonna uh, get into get into things marco do you have these up do you want to read them or should i read them oh i can pull them up hold on one a second all right you do that who's still with us wanna 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 have some fun today did you put up show notes yeah you don't see them i don't all right uh well actually there was something weird with that but i'll talk to you about that later uh i'll i'll read them that's fine uh, so first up, I have to apologize to Link, who sent in a uh, three an episode three hundred message um, that I didn't get to that we did not get to last week. So I'm gonna read his. Uh, Link said, "Congratulations, pals, on your three hundredth episode. I've been listening to the show ever since your X Men number one review in 2019. So almost three years now. Wow. Damn. And seeing your show release is always one of the highlights of my week." I love how varied all of your opinions are, but always respectful and showing a lot of love for the medium. Some highlights of the past years are, in my opinion, your Strange Adventures reviews, where you did a mind-opening analysis of the art and coloring. And I'll never forget how you guys went all out for the Hellfire Gala last year. Your show is affecting me so much that every time I hear someone say four, I also hear Kale's voice in my head saying, count them from Pals Pools. (laughs) I'm excited to see what the next 300 episodes will bring and for you guys to finally reach 1,000 subscribers so we can see Kale do that backflip. Wish you guys all the best and thank you so much for doing this every week. That's awesome. Uh, the That analysis piece, uh, by the way, my last newsletter was a continuation of that where I dove even, uh, even deeper into how the usage of color brings out like an additional bit of the narrative it, it helps accentuate a lot of the story beats uh so if you're a fan of that uh if you're a fan of those reviews and if you're on the patreon uh definitely go check that out i think you'll get a, a really good kick out of it uh something i plan to hopefully do a bit more just deeper analysis of uh comics and uh, uh hopefully with kale too yeah totally uh kef is still here says what a great interview thank you appreciate that uh victor's a f- fantastic guy still stevenson still here thank you um Silva. i was curious if um hearing victor talk about you know kickstarter and and his stuff on there if that if that uh did anything for you or, or if you found it insightful i guess in any way mm-hmm. um continuing on with the listener comments on episode 300 the Al1213 says, congrats on your 300th episode. Thank you, Al. Uh, long-time listeners might rem- remember that Al did some uh, some oh, art, for art for us. us. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Pete said, love you guys. Pete, of course, former member of the Comics Pals. Uh, love you too, buddy. 
Dan Trudeau. Uh, Man. Yes, yes. The perennial commenter says, I spent a year looking for an entertainment comics podcast, and yours was the first to not bore or irritate me within the first five minutes. I'm surprised. Uh, even better, I enjoyed it more and more with every episode. Your knowledge and passion for comic books is evident. Even when I disagree with an opinion, I always respect where you're coming from. Your Patreon is literally the first I've ever signed up for, and there's no way to calculate how many I've been asked to contribute to. So congratulations on 300 episodes of the best comics podcast on the market. That is huge, incredible uh, praise. I really, really appreciate that, Dan. Like Doing this week in and week out for five years, um, especially early on now that we're live it's a little different but especially early on you almost don't even know if anyone hears you mm-hmm. and then you see the views go up a little bit and you're like okay well people hear me but we don't know if they think we suck you know we don't know what they think about it um so to get that kind of feedback to know that for at least one person this is the best podcast the best comics podcast i never thought i would hear that you know um so it really feels amazing, and I, I appreciate it so much. Thank you for your support. Uh, yeah, it, it, it makes this so much more worth doing because uh, we, we know we're affecting somebody at to some level. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, he also says, also, The Amazing Spider-Man number 300 is the first full appearance of Venom and the return of the red-blue costume, so that's significant. It's Ooh. also the most valuable book in my collection. <laughs> The fact that you have a copy of that is remarkable. And that's, I, I would put, I would say that's the crown jewel of 300s. You know, as much as I would love to say our podcast is the crown jewel of, of 300s, I think Amazing Spider-Man number 300 is is tops because it is a really cool, awesome issue. Um, it's got a great cover. Like, there's so much about it that's fantastic. He also says on the Snyder article, the most likely explanation is the outgoing executives used a friendly journalist to take a shot at Snyder on their way out the door. The article does nothing to help WB's new corporate overlords, and I'm sure would love the story to go away. Yeah. Um, look, I can't say how I heard this. I, I would never, ever betray someone's trust. But I have reason to believe that what I discussed last week when we talked about the uh, the article, I believe it was a Rolling Stone article that I said was a hit piece, that felt like a hit piece, I have reason to believe that that's exactly what it was. And I will not elaborate anymore. Um, but thank you to the person who kind of, uh, you know, let me know that I was on, on the right track. Tipped us off. Yeah. Yeah, tipped us off. Uh, so next... We have a comment from Langston Brown from Pals Pulls, who said, Kale doesn't seem like a rather large amount of Kale doesn't seem to like a rather large amount of artists. So which artists are his favorites? And what is Marco's favorite Swamp Thing run and why? Well, Langston Brown, Kale's not here to answer your question, unfortunately. <laughs> I thought you were just gonna say like Ah, it's just Kale. He's grumpy. <laughs> but it's true. Kale is grumpy. And Kale <laughs> doesn't like a lot of things. I'm not sure why Kale still reads comics. But uh, whenever Kale's back, which will it'll be a while before you'll see Kale again. But when Kale's back, uh, we'll, we'll bring that question up again and we'll get his answer. Marco, though, is here. And Marco can tell you about his 
favorite Swamp Thing run, and he would love to regale you with reasons why it's his favorite. So uh, my favorite run is actually the one we did for the book club. Uh, that first initial arc where it renews the character, it renews the mythos of the character, and then it introduces us to uh, his big bad, Anton Arcane. Uh, for me, that was the f- one of the first books that I read of serialized comics where it wasn't a graphic novel. It wasn't a Watchmen. It wasn't a V for Vendetta. It was something that was previously published and you know other books were but it the the format of it is actually contained as those individual issues and uh, a a serialized story and it was my first experience reading it uh, and i fell in love with the character the depth the the introspection that could be found there and uh for me i i've always found swamp thing to not necessarily be a superhero like yeah he's he's a hero yeah he has powers but for me that's not where his uh charm lies it's in the way that he's able to think through his problems and the way he's able to sort of circumvent them um and uh it has an appearance with the demon who is speaking in iambic pentameter so like hell yeah first of all uh and would heavily recommend that as an introduction one to the character but also as an introduction to horror comics it's filled with uh from an art perspective, uh, Stephen Bissett and John Tottlebin do an amazing job of just communicating fear and communicating a mood with the colors from Tatiana Woods. Uh, it's it's a all-star creative team that, um, for me, knocks it out of the park every time. I do a reread every once, maybe like once a year, of just the Alan Moore stuff. And I think it's well, uh, I think it would do you well to read that. So, Kefis, who is watching us live right now, uh, threw us a question on Discord. What, if any, nerd phrases, words, or sayings are part of your vernacular, even if almost no one else says them? Uh, and then Kefis threw out that uh, he, he, he bet that I had none because I'm too cool for that. Well, Kefis, uh, you're the first human that ever referred to me as cool, so... Uh, thanks. Not even his friends. No, not my friends. <laughs> uh, do you have an answer for this, Marco? Yeah, I, so I responded in the Discord, and when I was first reading the Claremont X-Men run, uh, the 80s stuff, and I like seriously devoted maybe at least like 100-plus issues to it, uh, I would notice that he would say proverbial a lot. Anytime mm. he'd bring up some kind of phrase, you know, the proverbial uh, goose's egg or you know uh, you have we have uh, hitting two birds with one stone the proverbial two birds with one stone he would always say that and there was a time frame of about i want to say like maybe a year where i was like that's probably cool to say in real life <laughs> and it would absolutely just like bring up random shit you know uh, like uh all the time would just and say proverbial preface it with proverbial and then say some kind of proverb Wow. Uh, <laughs> popular, buddy. Always popular. I bet. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't really have any, as you predicted, Kefis. Uh, I have things that I say that I, you know, quotes or whatever, but they're not from anything that, uh, not not from anything nerd related. Not like, not from comics, not from Marvel or DC movies or anything like that. Um 
I guess I have at different points in time. Like, I used to be obsessed with Buffy. I am obsessed with Buffy the Vampire Slayer. And so, you know, somebody would ask me uh, how I'm doing. I'd say I'm five by five. And if you're a huge Buffy fan, that makes sense to you. And if you're not, you think I'm weird. That's why I don't do those things. Um, <laughs> the the other one I used to do with my brother was uh, Batman Beyond. We used to say shway to each other. Oh, my God. Yeah. It's oh cool. Ah. There you go, Kefis, my man. Faith, yes, Faith. Absolutely. Love Faith. Uh, I'm going to do for a rewatch. I got to get back into that. Um, yeah, thank you guys for, for the support on episode 300. It means a lot. Um, awesome to receive those comments from everybody who showed up for it. And, uh, yeah, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna have a lot of fun things going on um, for the rest, of the rest of the year. As we are on the road to starting year six so we just celebrated our 300th episode in like uh three months or whatever two months we're gonna be celebrating our sixth or the beginning of our sixth year so we got a lot going on around here that busy yeah it means a lot more content too so we'll be having a lot of fun um speaking of fun it's time to bring back a segment that we have not had on this show damn in quite some time between just two people? Yeah. Don't need more than one. Don't need more than two. Don't need more okay. than one, frankly. Because it is time for the return of Batfleck Watch. Ooh. Bum, 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 bum. We should have a theme song. We should have had a theme song ready. Right? Yeah, we need one. We got to get one. So what is Batfleck Watch? Batfleck Watch is whenever there's a news story to comment on. About Ben Affleck and whether he will or will not play Batman again. And just go ahead. Does this redo the points? This this would count. This would count as redoing points, right? Yeah. We'll I mean, have to figure that out. Because, well, if by that you mean, you know, for the end of the year game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I don't know if, I don't know who voted for what. I don't remember, but this counts because this is confirmation from none other than Jason Momoa's Instagram page that Ben Affleck was in town for Aquaman 2 reshoots. And not just he was in town, he was a part of them. Uh, Momoa said, oh, this is this can't be a spoiler. Obviously, everybody knows. And this is what WB gets or whatever. So this is as good as gold. That Ben Affleck will play Batman again in Aquaman 2. Okay, okay. Underwater suit or like what's up? Like how's because it's just all underwater. Like I don't. Like, what's my dude gonna do? Slowly I, punch through the through the like. I don't know. It wouldn't. Put, I wouldn't put it past Batman to have an underwater suit. Of course, that could happen. Um, I think what's interesting about this. Is that within... So the Batman came out this year. Aquaman comes out this year, December. Yeah. And uh, the Flash comes out early or some point next year. So that means within a year's time, we will have seen three. Count them. Three different people play decidedly different versions of the same character. Because Michael Keaton's in the Flash, two of those being in the same kind of continuity 
And so even even to that extent, we have a mix of, I guess, mythos and lore. Well, not even because Ben Affleck and Michael Keaton aren't in the same continuity. Ben Affleck's or Michael Keaton's Batman is going to be met by the Flash and Supergirl within the multiverse. Uh, okay. Well, I guess in in that sense, they are they are in like the they can cross over. Where I don't know where that connective tissue with uh, uh with the Batman will fit in. The connective tissue is if they decide they want it to. Because sure. prior to now, prior to Flash, Batman eighty nine and DCEU, no connection. Yeah. Um. I. I don't know how I feel about this, man, because part of me thinks that, like, because they don't want anything to do with the Snyder era. Right. So part of me is like, shouldn't you just just move away from it? Yeah. Like, I thought I thought Flash was the movie where they were going to have a clean slate. And that's not right. what it seems like is happening, which is which is weird, because uh, to your point, right, like. If you want to move away from that that world, just stop making movies about it or stop including the characters in there. You, you're you're shooting yourself in the foot because now you have to commit to some of those things. You have to commit to the fact that all right, well, uh, Batfleck is back, and what does that mean for the the next set of movies? Like, is he gonna make uh, like Superman made a you know cameo in Shazam, right? Like, does that mean that any subsequent a Shazam movie will potentially include either a Superman that is of the Snyderverse or a Batman of the Snyderverse or just characters within that Snyderverse. Like we're we're sticking to it, and the I guess the shame will be uh, Flash. We don't know how they're gonna want to treat that movie or treat what comes out of it because of Ezra. Right. Yeah. It, it, yeah. Exactly. And you know. This isn't representative in any way, shape, or form of what the new regime uh, over at DC or Warner Discovery wants. So they might they might want to completely pivot away from all of this whenever they get to make their first movie. So it's going to be interesting to see how things progress after The Flash. But I got to tell you, the story of DC... Like whenever they whenever they get around to like, you know, doing one of those exposés, that shit's gonna be fascinating. Because the, <laughs> the Sony and it took a hack, it took a it took an email leak to get this information. But like I I've been obsessed for years with the culture and corporate goings on behind the scenes at Sony. It's so amazing. So I gotta imagine that the stuff behind the scenes at Warner during the during the Zack Snyder era would be bombshell after bombshell just yeah. amazing yeah i Maybe can only ima- i can only imagine the stuff that'll come out of that and for me the interesting part would be who who okayed what who planned what because it's so everything is so disparate that it doesn't feel like uh, I, i'd be curious where they they're in their minds thought there was cohesion you know, like, like, oh yeah, this makes sense, and then you release it, and it's like, no, that's just stupid. Like, I none of that makes sense. Well, Kefis says it's almost as if the DCEU doesn't know what they're doing, and I agree. <laughs> but the thing is that they 
kind of never have. I mean, Zach had a vision, whether anyone liked it or not. There was a strategy. After his ousting, it definitely feels like there's no strategy. So it's up to uh, WB Discovery to kind of, you know, figure out what the next play is because uh, it's not uh, not looking too hot right now. Um, but we're gonna we're gonna skip ahead. We're gonna skip ahead a little bit, and we're gonna just get right into the Marvel stuff. We're gonna get into the multiverse saga. We talked a little bit about that with Victor, um, and we got his thoughts. And we did a stream, a, a pop up stream, uh, on Wednesday, last Wednesday. So if you guys want to hear our full, exhaustive thoughts about everything that was announced at San Diego Comic Con. Um, head on over and check that out. But um, as we said, the Multiverse Saga was officially announced at San Diego Comic-Con. They gave us the timeline, the big, huge timeline that we all love to see. We got release dates for all the films. Uh, we got announcements for Phase 6, three films, Fantastic Four, Kang Dynasty, and Secret Wars, uh, the former two Avengers movies. Um, but Kevin Feige said that that's not all. There are more reveals coming soon. Uh, and, you know, as we kind of predicted, it's looking like they will come at D23. Yes. Oh, that's hype. Okay, yeah. cool. So not that long to wait. That's just September. Nice. But what is, in my opinion, the must-discuss thing right now? Is a little bet. It's a little bet that Kefis and I have. Ooh. Based on the Fantastic Four and their release date for the Fantastic Four film under under Marvel. Now, Kefis, our bet was that Fantastic Four would not release before January 1st, 2025. And buddy. I don't know. It's not looking great for you because they announced the release date and it is November 8th, 2024. And I've already been on Amazon and I've already been on CheapGraphicNovels.com because I'm picking out my reward. I'm picking out what I won, what I'm going to win from this bet from you because you, sir, owe me an omnibus and I will collect that. Happily. And this is barring a potential date move, right? Like, should that happen? And I know you're I know you're confident. I know you're confident it's not, but should it happen, you're you're gonna have to cough up, right? Absolutely. I will happily, gladly cough up. Um if I, you know, if there's some kind of a delay. Now my question is. My question is, ah, see, okay. Kefis says he'll pay it up once it's in theaters. So you're mm. saying to me that I have to wait two years to cash in. Where if they had announced, a t if, if the date was January 1st, 2025, I would be paying up right now. Yeah, yeah. That seems a little unfair. I don't know. Seems a little bit unfair. I think there's room there's room for error there, right? Like like with with your 2024 date, there's room for error and I think I'm I'm going to say I think Kefis is hoping for it cuz he probably wants a, a sweet omnibus, but if they had announced it at 
2025, the only way from there, the only place is continuing to push back, right? So generally, it's a, it's a good it's a good bet. All right. So what is there? A, is there a is there a compromise? Is there a point at which I just win before it hits theaters? It's tough because we've we've had instances where they're they release a trailer or three and shit still gets moved so i would i would say you lock it in when are pre-orders for like tickets like usually like a month before no maybe like uh, the second trailer the i would say the trailer. second trailer i would say the second trailer is like a good point to call it be like you know what actually i think i'm so confident that this will happen that this movie will release on the day i am so unbelievably confident that it would take a disaster it would take you know covid to ramp up again or monkeypox to just be everywhere something world war three okay to stop me winning this bet (laughs) a global recession the universe would have to conspire. It'd have to be some final destination shit for me not to get my omnibus. Gotta so, walk onto it like a, a rake and just. <laughs> Sylph says, Sylph says I'm, I'm jinxing it. You might be right. You might be right. But I'm so confident in this that I just can't see it any other way. And I hope to not be wrong. Mm-hmm. Uh, because aside from the omnibus, I am really excited for a Fantastic Four movie. Do we get casting a D23, Marco? I don't think so. Hmm. I I think the most we'll get is maybe more information about some of the upcoming films and potentially some uh, trailer drop for maybe one or two. Uh, but beyond that, I don't think... like do we Do we know the director? No director has been announced. I would say maybe that that would probably be the most, but cast. I don't know that they would announce. I would say maybe at a New York Comic Con because if we're if we're following the progression of this, right? San Diego D twenty three Comic Con, and they Marvel has not been a presence at Comic Con for a few years now, and so I think it'd be a cool coming back to it if they were to drop that kind of an announcement. Okay, yeah, Marvel Studios. Uh... They haven't been too kind to New York Comic Con, I would say, in the last almost 10 years. Yeah. Uh, I saw the the first footage from the first Avengers movie at their Hall H panel in 2011 or whatever it was. Um, and that was pretty cool. But they haven't really given us much. So hopefully, I would love to see that be the case. I, yeah. I really would. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm really excited for this movie. I just started the Dan Slott FF series. Uh, like the FF run, yeah, and it's been real good. Uh, I think I get it. <laughs> you know, I think I get it. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 good stuff, man. The Fantastic Four are great, and it's sad to me that so many people think that they're just boring or whatever. Mm-hmm. Kind of like the Superman effect of where they're just they're like good people, and the books are about that to some degree, and people don't want to read it. They want to read about scumbags like Batman. Um. But uh, I do want to, speaking of, like, no director, I want to talk about the Avengers movies real quick. Because, obviously, we know that Kang will be a part of the Kang dynasty. That's a pretty safe bet. 
Yeah. Um, we know who's directing it too. It's the same director as uh, as uh, Shang Chi. That's right. Yeah, uh, Destin Daniel Cretton, I believe, is his name. They're giving him an Avengers movie. That's a lot of faith. They are giving him an Avengers movie. We don't know who will direct Secret Wars, which is really interesting. Um, because I always thought the Russos were were going to direct uh, Secret Wars. The way they've talked about this event, how important the, the book was to them as kids, uh, it seemed like it was a no-brainer. But yeah. because of all the stuff they have going on with their own studio, they're doing a lot of stuff with Netflix, according to everyone involved, they have nothing to do with these films. Now, Marvel Studios... Marvel Studios lies to you more than anyone in your life. My mom? Way... Oh, babe, I was with the boys. Meanwhile, strip club. You know, like, they lie to you constantly. I don't trust anything they say. Nothing at all. Kevin Feige... Kevin Feige is basically a deity to me, but that's a li- that's a liar, Satan, Satan level lies. So do I believe that the Russos will not be directing Secret Wars? No, I don't believe that. Mm-hmm. Sean, on that gore level faith, no faith, <laughs> no faith, all praise, the, no the, faith. Yeah, the gods lie. I, I mean, it. I can see a scenario where they're not going to be directing and considering they're giving uh, the Shang-Chi director, I forgot his name, sorry. Uh, uh, De- Destin Daniel Cretton, I believe. Destin, like uh, the the fact that they're giving him a Avenger, I, I guess like let's call it what it is, like an event kind of movie, right, is big. And I think that the Russo brothers have done it. They've done it well. But it seems like they're trying to give these new this new wave of directors a bit more authority, and so I wonder if they're not gonna uh, maybe the the person who directed the Eternals is gonna be involved in this. Like, oh no no, no, no. <laughs> please! Well, but, but, but but like like uh, under the assumption of like that they want this new talent to come in and do new things. Like they're not gonna give it to a James Gunn. They're not gonna give it to a Taika Waititi. Why right? not? Well, because they have their their own like slice, and they're happy with their slice. I'm assuming they're happy with their slice of the Marvel universe, and they kind of want to explore within that. And I feel like they're trying to bring up other directors, other directors to sort of lead the the way and kind of at the helm of ending Phase Five and going into Phase Phase Six. I mean, they've alienated a lot of people. And I'm not, I guess I can't say it's because of the Marvel machine. There's lots of factors, but like they've lost a lot of directors. If the Russos aren't in the picture, James Gunn says he's done after Guardians 3. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I don't see Sam Raimi showing up for a movie like that. That's not really his bag. Um, Taika's doing his own stuff now, like with. Star Wars. I I don't think that Taika is even the right fit for that kind of movie. I think he, I I think that would be really bad. Um, there aren't a lot of Marvel in-house directors that you can tap. Eternals. I don't want to see two people planking ever again <laughs> in a movie. Like I I don't want to see dry 
wooden people trying to make me think that they're having sex. Dry heaving. That's what I felt like doing. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I really don't know where you go. If you're not, if it's not the Russos, I think you have to look outside of the, 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 the wheelhouse of Marvel. Yeah. Who Peyton Reed is doing Quantumania. Yeah. I want to, I would wait to see how that sort of looks and uh, maybe they're going to give them the helm just because I feel it's so much easier to use people who are already in the Marvel machine to like maybe bump them up, give them, you know, level them up to some degree uh, to be able to continue to drive the stories. Like I would, I would love to see the, uh, whoever was the showrunner for Miss um, Marvel, like, shit like whoever they got on that team uh, i would love to see them do more and even an avengers kind of movie because they got to the core of something there the 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 people who directed and show run uh miss marvel the same duo that's directing uh batgirl wait get out really i'm dead serious yeah you know what maybe i'm turning around on batgirl okay hey miss marvel pretty good I don't know about Avengers. I don't know about going from Miss Marvel to Avengers. That's a little bit of a step. That's a few steps you're skipping right there. Fair enough. Yeah. Um, but we'll see. You know, we'll see what Marvel has in store. And again, I do think we're going to uh, get some answers here uh, at D23, which is in September. So we don't have long to wait at all. Cool. Um, I did want to briefly touch on... Let me see if I can find the slide. I did want to briefly touch on Spider-Man freshman year. Um, because this show was initially announced at... Uh, well, it's, it's been announced for a while. But we finally saw some footage from it at San Diego Comic-Con. It was a big surprise um, in terms of what we learned about it. But one cr- critical question kept popping up. And I think we, we all probably had it in our minds. What the hell is this? Mm-hmm. Yep. Because in the footage, in the, in the images that were shown, you can see Norman Osborn in that same place that Tony Stark was. So whenever Spider-Man walks into his house in Homecoming and Tony's there with Aunt May, this show has Norman in that spot. Interesting. And Peter's going to meet several characters like uh, Amadeus Cho he's going to interact with, Daredevil he'll be interacting with, uh, Harry, Nico Minoru, Doc Ock, all characters who it's pretty safe to assume he's never met, that our Peter Parker has never met, 616 Peter. Yeah, Tom Holland. Tom Holland. And Tom Holland not voicing Peter in the show. Guess why? We now know this show is not 616. It's not in continuity. It's multiverse. That's fine. I feel like the I feel like now that line is going to be so blurred between what is 616, what is multiverse and what is an acceptable crossover or acceptable to bring in or give away because I feel like that's a for me the multiverse felt like a safety net for swapping characters and for swapping actors it is a a built-in way to be able to keep all of the monikers for the heroes and have the flexibility of changing them out 
like there's there's a uh, there's a built-in system there that for me it makes sense to have and considering that this is not going to be part of 616 i think that's fine because the way what we saw in uh, multiverse of madness we went into some animated stuff we went into these other universes and for me that that's even uh, a basis to say you know into the spider-verse is now part of mcu multiverse canon there's potential there no there's not are you bugging you don't think so no that's sony well, no, but for sure, right? But but we still had a Tom Holland interact with other Sony related characters and properties. And to be fair, that was you know through a deal that they had made that was already on the paper. But uh, one of the things that we had commented on was now in the mind of people who think about Sony, they've attached onto the Marvel machine, right? They're kind of like that little parasite that's on there, and they can say, oh yeah, we have you know characters featuring uh, Spider Man that it's part of the MCU as well. Now, because of the multiverse, I think anything is fair game, regardless of the company, in terms of bringing characters in or having parallels. Well, my issue with this project is that it's very confusing. Mm. Um, I don't think that most people who tune in to this show are going to get that it's basically a what if. Um, and the what if messaging, the delivery was very clear. This is tales from the multiverse. Yep. And they didn't really try too hard to make us think like this could be, you know, real. Like it very much felt like stories that don't quite fit in 616 based on what we know about these characters. Mm. Whereas this show is going to be taking it, it definitely takes place before civil war and it follows a lot of the same beats but then it goes off on its own path and it's like well did this happen or didn't it happen um so i hope they don't shoot themselves in the foot with the lack of clear messaging also what's frustrating to me is i think the peter parker character from 616 needs to be fleshed out I don't know why I need to see a multiverse version of that same character get fleshed out. I want Tom Holland's Peter to have more depth and identity. I want to know what happened to Uncle Ben. Like, get into that stuff. Don't show us a multiverse version. It's earned now, so give it to us. Yeah. I guess I guess the multiverse is a way to go around some of it. Like... Because they didn't give us a proper, you know, origin for Tom Holland's Spider-Man, this is a way to splice in some of that. And I think to your point, though, that makes the messaging messy. That makes the continuity messy because then there's uh, the there's a sequential dissonance between what's going to happen here and what ultimately happens with Tom Holland. Right. Yeah. Well. That show's not debuting until 2024, I believe, uh, which is a long way away. Um, yeah, 2024. Yeah, I, I do wish it was coming out a little sooner. Uh, but, you know, it's funny. This is probably the only Spider-Man we're going to have uh, for a little while. I think it's going to be a few years before we see a fourth installment in the Tom Holland Spider-Man films, if we see one at all. Phase six, baby. Maybe, maybe, I would love it. 
I would Spider-Man comes home from the multiverse. <laughs> Unbelievable. All right. Let's talk about Black Panther because for me, this was this was it at mm. San Diego Comic-Con. So we talked about it with Victor. They showed the trailer. It was phenomenal. Over 100. Let me make sure I got that number right. Yeah. Over 172 million views in the first 24 hours for Damn. that trailer. Well deserved. Yeah. People are hype. Yeah. Oh, Kefa says the Russos went from community to Winter Soldier. Miss Marvel team can do it. You're right. There you go. Let's right. go. Kefa's in my corner. <laughs> that is a very fair point. Um, on the subject of Black Panther, the trailer, I mean, it hits hard. If you haven't seen it somehow, definitely go and, and watch it. Um, it's it's amazing. It really is. Um, and I'm so excited to see what they do uh, with this film, what it, you know, what it looks like past the trailer. But yeah. for me, this was an all-time great trailer. Angela Bassett was phenomenal. Power. Um, just bringing so much gravity and and uh, grace to the screen every time she was on it. I really felt the pain of her character. And that's just in trailers. Um, the music. Oh, man. The transition to All Right. Yeah, that I, was that crazy. Caught me off guard. I, I was like, I, I was vibing to the song, and then it's like, all right, and then they, they had like the, the little echo to it. I'm like, that's weird. It sounds like Kendrick, yep. and then it like continues. Like, wow, that was seamless transition, and thematically appropriate. Totally. Um, and there's actually a prologue soundtrack that's out right now, um, by uh, Ludwig Göransson, who is the um, the uh, you know the score producer mm. uh, that they that they grabbed for this one did the first one as well. It's got Thames mm. on it. It's got it's got a few artists on it. It's not that long. It's only three songs, but uh, it's got huh. the the Thames "No Woman No Cry" from the trailer, and it's got a couple of songs that weren't in the trailer. Uh, but there is something that I don't think people know about this movie that's that we have to talk about. Am I one of those people? Yes. Uh, you definitely are. Okay. Um, so we know the worst kept secret in the MCU that Namor would be in this film. We knew yeah. that. We knew it. We knew it would be Atlantis versus Wakanda. What we didn't know is that we're wrong about huh? calling it Atlantis because Ludwig Göransson spilled the beans in an interview that they're not calling them Atlanteans. This is not Atlantis that we're dealing with. Interesting. Yup. They are, they are actually changing the origin, not the origin, but the name of the Atlanteans. Mexicans. <laughs> No? <laughs> no? I don't. Are you asking me? Are you asking me? I thought you had the answers. I was guessing. Okay, just because I have the answer doesn't mean that I would have mm -hmm. something to say when you throw out Mexican. They're not about <laughs> what they're going to say. They're going to be like, yeah, how'd you know? I was like, I don't know. It's, you know, the Aztec design and shit. Oh, my God. No, unfortunate. Well, no, it's not. But, but I'm glad you brought up Aztec. 
because they're playing off of sort of the what I guess would it be fair to say the myth or like the like the Aztecs and how they're a lost um, oh I see I see like a like an El Dorado kind of situation yeah okay. yeah exactly like um, undiscovered peoples or something yes exactly so they're they're it's actually called Talokan um which is it it's a it's that name is derived from the Aztec paradise I can't I don't know how to I'm sorry I don't know how to pronounce this Talokan yeah Wait, Talokan yeah, yes and yes then Trying to find it. I'm trying to find it. You keep going. I'll find it. Yeah, yeah. So it's taking. It's it's coming from Aztec Mayan cultures. That's where they're kind of pulling this from. And so they're fusing the the like mystery and legacy surrounding Atlantis with that of the Mayans and the Aztecs into one, and making that the Atlanteans' sort of backstory and origin for this movie. So we're no longer calling that calling it Atlantis. It's Taloka now. That's cool. I, that, that's really cool. I, I when we did the uh, the San Diego like debrief on everything, uh, that was probably my one of my favorite things is the the, the way the community popped off um, for Namor and for him being Hispanic and that for me I think resonated very much because it's exciting to see somebody uh, who looks like me in like as a front and center either antagonist hero whatever it might be but to be there and have that visibility like that's exciting and the fact that they're rooting it into something that's a bit more tangible i think for me it makes a lot of sense it makes a lot of sense and there's a there's a sense of pride to it you know i have mexican friends on instagram who were like excited specifically because of that representation and um it's it's going to be really entertaining to see uh, Mesoamerica as a uh, as as a peoples uh, that I think like as a native people is something that maybe doesn't get told a lot. You know, Mexico or uh, your Ecuador, Colombia, like with the the hubs of some of these places, Guatemala. It's all mired in drugs and in uh, in gangs, and so the fact that we're bringing something that is more in my opinion, I guess respectful uh, uh, of or something that is more grounded in the culture um, makes it that much more powerful. Yeah, yeah, I totally agreed. Um, Silve makes a great point to distance from Aquaman. Mm-hmm. I actually somehow hadn't considered that. That's that's a very very good point. They. There's so much overlap there. I could see it being confusing for audiences. And this is a great way to what you're saying, Marco, to show us something different. You know, show us a different kind of people um, and get into something that, unfortunately, there hasn't been much representation for in the MCU or the DCFU. Yeah, right? There's no Hispanics in uh, Marvel. No, not at all. Just Tena Huerta now. That's it. Yep. The man. Carrying the flag. And looked awesome, by the way, as Namor. Oh, dude. I, I'm so excited for it. it. The aesthetic is beautiful. Yeah. Uh, you want to play a quick game? Yeah, let's go for it. All right. 
And hopefully the chat will get involved in this game too, since it's just Marco. Um, we're going to play Two Truths and a Lie real quick. And it's all about Namor. Since Namor is, you know, front and center right now, I figured we could quickly play a game of Two Truths and a Lie. So the way this works is I'm going to tell you three. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make three statements. One of them is not true. The other two are true. And simply, you have to tell me which one is not true. Okay. All right. So, the first one is, Namor is a mutant. Uh, this is not necessarily something that Namor, you know, wears on his sleeve. But, Namor is a mutant. Um, Namor is notably one of the first mutants to be known as such. One of the old, older, I guess. One of the older mutants. Okay. Uh, <laughs> um, Namor. Obviously, we all know that Namor is very uh, popular with with the with the ladies. Uh, so much so, more more particularly, Sue Storm. Mm-hmm. Uh, Namor and Sue Storm have had a lot of heated moments. And Namor is actually the only other person in the Marvel canon that Sue has had sex with. Okay. Uh, And the last one, the very last one, is that the very first crossover in Marvel happened with Namor. It included Namor. Uh, it was a <laughs> it was a fire versus water gimmick uh, with the original Human Torch. So the first one I know is true, okay. only because we read the Hickman stuff and there was a tense meeting between him, Magneto, and uh, Xavier where they're like, "Hey, we could we could make something happen, and you could come. You would be welcome." Mm-hmm. Uh, they extended the olive branch to which Namor appropriately shat on them, which was mm-hmm. fucking amazing. The second one, in I'm glad I read FF for this because they make allusions to it and the kind of relationship they once had. It didn't seem to be sexual, so I'm questioning that one. And there was an instance where, I'm forgetting the, the daughter's name, but they're on this one world where there's this tall, uh, muscular, and off-color, he's like red, that she's infatuated with. And Reed gets nervous about it and makes comments and allusions to Namor, which is why it gets brought up. And then the last one, I know for sure, that was uh, definitely a crossover with the Human Torch. Uh, gets talked about in Marvel's Kurt Busiek and Alex Ross. I'm going to go with the second one being a lie. I don't think they actually smashed. I think there's just tension there and it's a lot of sexual tension, but I don't think I don't think she's ever crossed the line. All right. Kefis says true lie true, which is consistent with what Marco said. Uh and you guys would be correct. Yes, let's go Kefis. You guys would be correct. Uh Sue as much as she has had an emotional affair, Namor's her emotional friend, if you will. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Namor is her emotional friend. Um, and she has tried to make 
uh, read jealous and make him pay attention to, you know, what he's got at home, who's at, who's waiting for him at home, which, look, science is cool, I guess, and saving the world is awesome, and, you know, whatever, Galactus got to stop him. But when you have Sue Storm at home, how do you leave? You can't even see her. Oh, my God. We can see her. <laughs> we can see her. Um, but yeah, that you you Ooh, you nailed it. You nailed right. it. I okay. I read I, comics, Sean. I'm shocked. I thought I thought it was an easy win. It, it it's interesting also because I, I imagine it's pretty hard to find like lore on Namor like that. Right. See, just in general. So yeah, good stuff. All right. Well, let's dive into the main topic, which is all about Wakanda Forever. I have read a lot of people's thoughts about this film, the trailer, watched people's thoughts. And I'm, I, I got to take, I got to say, is, I have a question, I guess. Is Marvel making a huge mistake with Wakanda Forever? I'm saying I think it might be Marvel's most controversial film, and it's not even out yet controversial in what sense so there's a few layers of controversy the first it starts with T'Challa it starts with Black Panther himself there are a lot of people who are upset that Marvel chose not to recast this role for the foreseeable future now I understand you know Victor's theory that maybe this takes place during the blip and that would be a huge swerve. But I don't feel like that's what's going on. Um, I could see maybe the sequence of um, of uh, the, the queen. What's I forgot her name. Queen Najia, maybe. Um, I'll check it out. Of T'Challa's mother. I can see that scene taking place where she says, I lost my whole family. I could see that taking place during the blip. But the movie itself, I don't believe does. Uh, Ramonda. Ramonda, thank you. Um, because Shuri's there. And I'm almost certain that an, in Endgame, please correct me if I'm wrong, if there's someone here you know, who remembers it better than me, I'm almost certain that at, the, that at the end, when everyone comes back, she's there. And if that's the case, that would imply to me that she was snapped. I don't remember if she was snapped away in, in, in Infinity War if we saw that. So uh, it looks like you know, I said that both her character and Letitia Wright Shuri had survived the snap. However, uh, this is in an interview with Angela Bassett. And the Russo brothers, however, were tight-lipped on whether or not Shuri survived. And we technically never see Shuri get snapped on screen. But we don't actually see her come back necessarily. Okay. All right. Well, then that does actually lend credence to what Victor said. Uh, Kefis, oh my God. <laughs> I don't know, man. I don't know. She seems pretty unhappy for someone whose husband can stretch like Reed. So he's doing <laughs> something wrong. Um, welcome, Shenron. Thank you for joining us. Um, and that's a good point, too. Wong came through at the end of Endgame and we know he wasn't snapped that is a very mm -hmm. fair point yeah. I interpreted that differently just because I interpreted that as him helping bring everybody else through but you're right and that, that that's not confirmation but 
let's assume, I guess, for the sake of this conversation, that this takes place after the snap. After the blip. Post-endgame. Yeah. And they really just have chosen not to recast. And that's the way forward. Let's assume, for argument's sake, that that's the case. Because you're right. We can't say that that's a fact right now. If that's true, the argument that people are making is that Marvel has removed from the equation the premier black superhero. Mm, I don't like that narrative. It's... All right, I, I guess the, to address the first point on you know not recasting, I do think it's, in the event that it doesn't happen, I do think it's a mistake. I'm not going to be mad or angry at Marvel for it because they're going to make their decision. And I think T'Challa is such a prominent character in the, in, in the Marvel Universe in general that... T'Challa as a character should not go away. Now, if they remove him, I think you're losing out on potential for stories. I think you're losing with that character specifically. You know, and that's not to say that you can't have a Shuri replace or some other character replace the function, but the character itself, uh, you'll be losing out on something like the Illuminati if that never pops up again. Or there's a a net loss with that and by way of that second point of removing a prominent black character i would disagree because you have you have letitia right there she's she's not she, whoa. Her character whoa everybody's problematic least fave letitia well, right but all right, you think all right, all right. you th oh, you're saying to me, Chadwick yeah. Boseman, yeah. the most beloved MCU actor, yeah, right, playing Black Panther, the premier black superhero, and then you're gonna say Letitia Wright, anti-vax person, potentially. I think maybe there was some anti-trans stuff. There might have been. Got a turn, and we're gonna replace the Golden Boy. The golden man with her and we're not losing anything i'm not saying we're not losing anything but i'm not, I, i'm i'm saying that they're not they're not trying to remove this character they're not trying to remove the representation and i think that and i think that that's to me two separate two separate things the the representation end of having a premier lead a premier black lead versus having a good or an arguably good person as that lead like someone to set the example well even okay okay so before we dive further into that i do want to bring up some of the other the other the other factors that are at play right now yeah um so it's the fact that it appears that we've lost t'challa for the foreseeable future and that t'challa will be replaced in the Black Panther role, most likely by Shuri. Now, the other aspect of that is also the idea of the erasure of the black man in a prominent role in Wakanda. Mm -hmm. If you look at the structure of Wakanda, even in the first movie, the only 
relevant black man is T'Challa in terms of the structure of Wakanda. Yeah, fair. And so if he's eliminated from that space, then there are no prominent black men who are responsible for Wakanda. Of course, we will see the return of M'Baku, but M'Baku is not... M'Baku's not like... He's not a main character. Right. So there's that aspect as well. Then there's the aspect of people not wanting to trust this trailer because the first trailer for Black Panther, the initial film, was amazing. The visuals were phenomenal. And then when it came time to watch the actual movie, while it's a gorgeous movie, I don't think it's uh, possible to argue that there is definitely a quality difference between the trailers and the final result, especially when you look at the last battle, the last uh, the action sequence at the end. Oh, yeah, that was a little boring. Boring, yes, but more importantly than that, from a visual standpoint, it wasn't as sharp. It was the, the visual effects were not as good. Mm. Um, and that's probably people's biggest complaint about that film. It's not bad, but... Oh, go back and watch that last fight, yeah? dude. Go, yeah. I love this movie. To me, it's like a top five Marvel movie. But that last sequence is not great. Okay. All right. Uh, so, I, I, I get, I, I get the, the, the point on, like, the removal of that central character and him being male. But I don't know that that... I'm of two minds. I don't know that that matters for the function of Wakanda, like within the logic of the Marvel universe. Like, yes, you don't have your premier male leader, but you do have uh, the, the the queen. The queen regent is still there. You have the the royalty there. Like the function of it in context is still there. It's still royalty, and it still it still works, even though that male figure is not there. Um, but your point on not having a male representative there, I can see that. I don't, and then it gets tricky, right? Because then you want that to be the Black Panther, right? That is the representation of it. I don't know, I wouldn't, I personally would not see an issue with it, but I could understand and empathize with the fact that we don't have the one the black panther be a male black man so before i respond uh cj k killer says just been just sitting in the background for the last 30 minutes love the show guys thank you so much really really appreciate that that's awesome um if you haven't please do leave us a follow and i i really uh hope you enjoy the rest of the show um how'd you find us are you a regular listener or um or is this your first time with us? Uh, Kefis says, It seems as though the pain of losing Chadwick to everyone involved was so great that not recasting him is a sign of respect for this movie, but going forward, he needs to be recast. And Sylv Stevenson says the future is female. Hey, I'm all about it, right? I loved uh, you know, how many women were important to Wakanda. It's such a stark contrast, I think, to the rest of... Well, maybe less so now, but maybe back then more to the rest of the MCU and what we're used to. So I got no problem with that. I, I thought it was great um, from that standpoint. 
but as it stands at this moment, I feel like the most important uh, uh, male character that's going to be in the movie is the freaking white CIA agent. <laughs> Martin Freeman. Martin Freeman. Come on, man. <laughs> Yo. He's going he's gonna to come back and bow and shit. <laughs> that's so funny. It, it, actually, to be yeah, to your point, he is going to be the most prominent male character in that. Mbaku, probably. I nah, guess. he's not going to get as much screen time as Martin Freeman. <laughs> you kidding me? I think the most prominent male character in the film will be actually Namor. Actually, yeah, good point. Good point. And you know what? A person of color. And I don't. I think there's. I think that's. Actually, no, that's not even a good trade-off necessarily, right? It's just a different context. Hmm. Yeah, so that's that's the weird thing. And look, I wanna say I wanna say this. Because this is a this is a conversation that um, is genuinely very important to me. And I watched and I wanna shout out Showmonger because Showmonger, who is a friend of the show, who has a YouTube channel, go check him out. He did a he did a show where they were talking about this, and there was a lot of anger on that side. Not yeah. so much from him, more so from his guest. And the problem that I have, because look, ultimately, I agree. I think T'Challa should have been recast. I want to see what they did, how they've used T'Challa and Black Panther to elevate that character, to take a black superhero to heights that we've literally never seen before. I mean, if you think about it, prior to Black Panther, who's the most prominent black superhero? To the minds of, of people who go and see these movies. You got Blade. Luke Cage. You got Luke Cage. You got Blade. You have Storm. Mm. And I guess Cyborg and Jon Stewart. Of those. Have we seen Jon Stewart? No, I just mean like in the animated series. I would oh, say, I see, oh, I see. yeah. Okay. Like okay. overall public consciousness. Of those, one of them has starred in their own movie, that being Blade, which will be happening again. The rest have either never been in a movie or have been side characters in a movie. Sure. Black Panther is the first one. Name on the marquee. Made a billion dollars. Kids, white kids dressing up as the Black Panther. White kids want to be the black character. When does that happen? Mm. And now, I'm not saying that, you know, white Girls, white children won't still want that when this movie comes out. I, I'm sure it will happen. But I feel like, you know, black boys don't, they, they, they lost something. I see. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And that and, representation was so important. Remember when they were, when they were taking kids by the bus load, teachers were paying to take their children, their classes, to see this movie because they knew how important it would be for those black children to see this. And now Chadwick is gone and we lost that. I don't want the loss of the man to be the loss of the character. To me, that's not right. This is a character that needs to stand the test of time, that has to be around for 100 years. Just like Spider-Man, just like Batman, Superman, everybody else. And it can't be that that character is so tied to this one actor that all of that is in jeopardy. And I'm not saying that because a woman is playing the character that 
the future is at risk. I don't believe that. I really, really don't. I'm talking about T'Challa. Yeah. Black Panther, sure, fine. There have been other Black Panthers in the comics that weren't Shuri or T'Challa. I'm talking about T'Challa. But what bothers me so much, Sam Wilson, thank you, Kefis. You're absolutely right. Um, What bothers me so much about the conversation of people who are mad about uh, T'Challa not being recast is that so much of it feels sexist. That's what pisses me off. Mm. Is that it, it's it, it, it's very like from a place of like red pill borderline. There have to be powerful, strong women in these movies because guess what happens if you don't do that? We've seen what happens if you don't do that. These spaces are for women. They're for men. They're for every kind of person that exists, right? And if the move, if you're boycotting this movie because that's what's going on, there are conversations about boycotting. Get out. If you're, yes. If you're boycotting this movie because a woman is most probably going to be the Black Panther without knowing that for a fact – having only seen one trailer and you don't know the story of the film I think you need to reevaluate what's important to you take a look inside I'm supporting this movie no matter what not just because it's a Marvel movie which I would go see it regardless I I might go see it if Martin Freeman was the Black Panther you know what I'm saying like <laughs> I'm just kidding with that one um, <laughs> that's not gonna happen. That's not. That's grounds oh, for boycott, dude. They could they could resurrect uh uh, uh Killmonger. They could yeah. do they could do so many. They could CG Chadwick Boseman before they bring Martin Freeman and put that man in a Black Panther costume. Yo, if if uh if to uh Victor's point, like it's all the Dora that are uh like masked up and stuff and you just see like martin freeman just like happens to be there in costume you know what i fuck with that that'd be kind of goofy i could see that hey kefis you go ahead and clip that bud appreciate it uh (laughs) cj uh thank you i'm glad i'm glad that we're up your street uh we do this every single saturday at uh 10 15 a.m eastern and we review comics on uh thursdays at six for our show called palace pools appreciate you being around um yeah, I I don't want the messaging from us. I'm talking about us, right? From black people. I don't want the messaging to be, we're not going to support this movie because a black woman is the star. That's mm-hmm. bullshit. And if you're a black man and your thinking in any way resembles that, you got to do something about that. I'm challenging you right now to do something about that line of thinking you can talk about it we can talk about anything we can talk about the lack of t'challa we can talk about the lack of black male representation in black panther in wakanda right now but what you can't do what we're not going to do is we are not going to put down black women as a result and we're not going to boycott a black movie that's not going to that's what we cannot do because the only lesson I'm sorry Marco you the only you. lesson they're going to learn from that is that black movies don't sell and that's what we cannot do that's the only lesson they're going to learn 
Make noise on social media, but show up in that theater when the movie comes out. I think you have to separate those issues. You absolutely have to separate those issues of, like to your point, you can talk about the lack of the representation of having a black male character and still be like, well, that was a dope movie with a black lead, with a black female lead. Right. Incredible, right? And to the point on, on representation where you have, you know, the kids being brought to the theaters by the busload, you can, you can have that same argument for uh, for this upcoming movie where you have busloads of black girls coming over or for the for namor having you know hispanic kids come through right like the for captain marvel for miss marvel dude i i can only imagine once the the marvels movie comes out that's that's going to be an empowering moment as well for women and it's going to be a similar thing to black panther to uh to a captain marvel all those things are going to be the 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 touchstones for representation and you can have those you can have the argument in good faith about the lack of a Chadwick Boseman or the lack of a T'Challa and those things but those things have to be separate from the quality of a film just because there's a separate lead in it yeah completely we have to there, look there's this is not the place for it but there's a lot of healing and conversations that need to go on within the black community um, as it relates to issues like this but at the end of the day, um, yeah, this is probably the most important mar- movie Marvel's going to put out for a while when it comes to how it's going to impact people. Because the first Black Panther impacted many people. And I think now with the death of Chadwick, this movie is going to impact people a lot more. And we just have to find a way to strike that balance. Mourn the loss. Mourn the loss. Respect the man. But let's, let's move on into the future. You know, and it's and it's and it's called Wakanda Forever. This is about unity. It's a movie about unity, and I should not feel like we're so we're so divided right now. On on that topic, on it specifically, and and I think to your point, right? It's it's an interesting thematic uh, name, the the Wakanda Forever, and talking about unity and the movie looking at or examining the conflict and disagreement between these two nations or these two peoples and i think as much as you know this is a morning time uh, for chadwick uh, we also have to look at the other aspect of what a funeral could be or, or what what um what death is it's also a celebration of life and it's a celebration of his history of the history that he brought to the character but also a celebration it could be viewed as a celebration of this new introduction to this new world, this new culture that gets brought to the forefront because of this movie. Like that, that to me is also one of the, the takeaways is yes, we can, we can, we can still feel the hurt of Chadwick and T'Challa, but we're also getting introduced to a more expansive world within Marvel and, and a more represented world within Marvel. And that can only be sep- uh, celebrated. And we have, if Shuri is the new Black Panther, in this film a new a new lead as well like this this is only this can only be viewed in my mind as a as a good thing across the board Uh, a a a leveling up of the mythos for wakanda for black panther uh and an extension of that through shuri yeah i hope that's how it goes 
Um, I, you know, I maintain we need T'Challa back. I hope that by the close of this movie, we learn he's been resurrected or something like that. Something. Um, if that doesn't happen, then I think there's another conversation, a different conversation that needs to be had. But I wouldn't be surprised if there was something like that. And I also know for a fact that everyone involved in the creation of this movie is going to get a lot of questions about this issue as we get closer to release. So this is a conversation that will be ongoing. It's a conversation we have to have as fans, as people. But just keep in mind that there are a lot of things that are important in this situation that go beyond just your specific point of view and that we need to be having conversations that are honest about our point of view and why we feel that way, um, where that's coming from. So just always be cognizant of that. Well, one last point is for for this movie, I think the the theme is appropriate and I hope that at the end of it, we get you know one of the the end scene credits. We don't get to see who the new character, who the new T'Challa would be. Like that, this, my hope is that they make a reveal that we don't get to see who the new actor is, but we get a glimpse. We get a glimpse of the man, and I think that would be that would be extremely valuable for one for the confidence of uh, I guess people who might disagree with the direction that they took, um, but. I think also instill a confidence in that you know this character is still going to be around because I agree with you. I think it. I think he needs to be recast because T'Challa is so important to the to the larger MCU. Think about how weird it would be for the actors in this first or in this you know film Wakanda Forever if you know Chadwick just died and they show up to set and there's a new dude right like hey I'm T'Challa like they need a breather. So, you know, when you think when you think about other people, right? When you think about the the totality of this thing, it's like, mm, it kind of makes sense. Um, but we'll see how it plays out. Uh we want to hear your thoughts about this issue. We want you guys to sound off. What are your honest feelings about, you know, what the future should be for Black Panther, for T'Challa, for Wakanda? Um you know, are you happy with the decision making at Marvel over this issue? Obviously, Marvel was put in a bad spot. You know, an unfortunate passing of a great human um, that they now have to deal with and react to. It's difficult, and I don't know that I have the right answer. But that's why we're talking because we have questions. Well, I have the right answer, so <laughs> you can send your questions or your answers to us. Uh, there's. Any, any place you're listening to this, there's a way to comment. The description will include a link to all of our content. All the, all the stuff we do, the social medias, will be in the, the link tree. I want to shout out, before you leave, if you're watching this live, make sure you hit the follow button. If you're watching this on YouTube or listening on an audio platform, subscribe, like the video, like the audio, follow us. All that stuff's free to do and it helps us out a lot more than it costs you. Patreon.com slash the comics pals where for as little as three dollars a month you can support your boys and get some great content from us, some additional content that's not available anywhere else, like our newsletter. We also have Pals Palling Around, which is our 
you know, after dark show where we talk about whatever we feel like talking about that doesn't necessarily pertain to comics. Um, and you can vote in our book club, which I, I, I neglected to mention voting did close voting did close. Uh, and, uh, I, I, I don't want to call it before I look, but I think I won. I think, I think, uh, which was yours again. Mine was uh, Batman White Knight. That's right. Okay. Yes. And I think, let's see. Here we go. I'm checking it live. I kind of want to do homework. I kind of I kind of hope that Final Crisis, the, the Crisis Infinite Earth wins. At 40% of the voting, White Knight and Curse of the White Knight have won. Ooh, all right. All right. It's good stuff. Yes. So thank you to everybody who voted. We'll have the next vote up soon. Uh, YouTube.com slash The Comics Pals. Watch this show live. Twitch.tv slash The Comics Pals. 10, 15 a.m. Eastern. If Tyler's, uh, Tyler's here, if he's not, some point after that. Uh, 6 p.m. on Twitch Eastern for Pals Pulls. Thank you guys so, so much for listening. I appreciate everybody who stuck around uh, for the earlier technical difficulties. You guys mean the world to us. We will see you guys next week for the show. Oh, Plugs, Marco. You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Mr. Marco Animoto. I am. What am I doing? I don't know. Oh, I've been watching It's Always Sunny. So if you like It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, it's a good show. It's irreverent and stupid, but I'm having a good time. Awesome. Uh, as for me, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Sean Soapbox. I'm going to a Coheed and Cambria show tonight. So I'm pretty, pretty pumped about that. Uh, wait, wait, say that a little more excitedly, Sean. It, 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 I don't think I don't think it came through. <laughs> I'm going to a Coheed and Cambria show tonight. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, I'm pretty pumped. It's gonna be a lot of fun. Uh, I haven't uh, I saw them last year, so you know it's not been that long. Maybe that's why I didn't sound so pumped. But they got a new album out, so they'll be playing cuts off that. Uh, should be a lot of fun. Hope you guys enjoy yourselves. Thank you for listening. Until next time, we're the Comics Pal signing off. Take care, guys. I'm gonna steal his bit. See you next week.